All right, guys uh, and gals and in-betweens. Uh, this is the second episode of the Breckening Podcast with me, Brian Breckenridge. Uh, I'm here with Alan, weird-ass middle name, Brown. What I've seen your ID before. It's your first or middle name that is what? The middle name is actually Alan, which is okay. super common, obviously. But the first name is Dwell. Dwell. Yeah. It. I. If I remember right, it was my second, or my what? What was that? Great great grandfather. Mm. It was his name. My. The story was something like, he was this hardworking guy. He was. That's how he was known. So my dad um, chose that. My I don't think my mom was stoked about it, but she settled for Dwell because his first choice was another relative, and that guy's name was Pomperoy. So I could wow. have been named Pomperoy. Pomp- <laughs> Pomp- is there an L in there? Pomperoy. Pom- I think I think it was like P O M P, like Pomp. Oh, like, you'd just be pomp. Pimperoy. Oh, God. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it... It's like, I knew you for, like, a couple of years, and I saw your ID, and I was like, wait, what? This <laughs> this happened at work recently, where where people saw my ID because I had to, like, sign for a package or something, or some billing thing, and everyone said, why don't you go by that? That's such a cool name, and I was like... Small town Texas grade school, that's the last thing you want. Yeah. I mean, it was just such an embarrassment. You always get made fun of. That's an adolescent box of ammo mm-hmm. to be leveled at you at every possible instance. It couldn't have been said better. Adolescent box of ammo. It, it was the, I remember the anxiety on the first day of school every year when they're doing the roll call. Oh, God. And then you just... You couldn't even get to him beforehand and be like, x on the Eldway. Yeah. Let's just... Nope. Let's just go by Alan. Is that, is that okay? <laughs> so, and then in kindergarten... You just go by like a DA. DA Brown. Oh, that actually would have been good. Hey. DA Brown. When you hit it your, sounds like... When you hit your 40s. Some sort of DA Brown. Yeah. <laughs> so I've... This is how I know you. I, uh, you're, you, you're a uh, talent buyer. Which I didn't know that was the term when I met a talent buyer. It's just like he's the guy that books things. But booking, it, I, that, how I got to know you is you are, uh, I guess, the the booker at Main at Southside, where I put on comedy shows, music shows happen, a lot of other Had a type drag of events. Show on Thursday. Yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of cool stuff there, uh, and that's that's how I got to know you and. Uh, Knowing that, oh, it's, you're just not like some guy that got the book that uh, you, this is your skill because you also work for a Spoon. Correct. Is that the name, just Spoon or Spoon? Spoon Productions. Spoon Productions. Um, which I, is a, uh, a Texas, I would say Texas talent correct. buyer. Correct. Because y'all. Uh, Texas-based okay. um, event promoter. I mean, there's, it's. It's such a funny, there's so many names for it. Some people that do exactly what I do hate the name Talent Buyer. Okay. They they want to be called a promoter or a booker. Or Hell, I'd say promoter has too much uh, has too much stigmatism behind it. <laughs> there's a lot of stigma uh, with, with a lot of, because they're just like any, profession there's a lot of people that do this and don't do it well or they do it kind of shady yeah oh which plenty of 
plenty of that's gone on in yeah. DFW over the year. Oh, so much of it. And so it's, it's, I, I mean, I don't mind what anybody would call it. I mean, it's, you're doing the, the same thing. It's just, yeah, I, I, and, but for Spoon, I always say Spoon Productions because mm-hmm. over the years, so many people are like, oh, you work with the band? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, that would Is be that, they're cool. not a Texas band, are they? Or Yeah. Okay, Austin, they, they Austin, are. Yeah. That, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, they, but. Yeah. You have to spell it. Yeah, it's, it's S-P-U-N-E. That's it. Because yeah. this is an audio thing. Yeah. And so. there's no good story behind that name. Okay. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't create the company. I came to work for the company probably 2011, 2012, hmm. I think. Um, Are y'all still around? Oh yeah. Post COVID and everything. Okay, good. Still, still kicking and. Uh, Bands can at least stop playing, but when you have a full-on business and people in bands can find ways to make money, the band just can't play anymore. But when you're a talent buyer in that a production company, basically, yeah, it's just like how how far can you float along through you know COVID and come out the other side? It was it was super stressful. I, it's interesting too because, you know, when it happened, no one you know, no one had any concept of how long this thing will yeah. go. And so we would reschedule, you know, it, it was basically over the course of two days, and I was talking with, you know, Scott Beggs at Three Links mm. and Chris Yeomans at Margin Walker, and, you know, we were just canceling shows. I think one day I talked to Chris, and I canceled probably 30 shows, and he was like, I canceled about 75 or something. Because wow. th- their volume just yeah, yeah, yeah. quite a bit more than ours but um and then the rescheduling begins because everybody's being hopeful um and then after we rescheduled shows about the third time that's when mm-hmm. you're talking to band managers and agents and you're just saying can we maybe just pause like let's not go through this yeah let's not even look through the calendar yeah let's, let's, let's just wait and so that's what happened and and yeah, so there was no work, and uh, I luckily had a friend that has a print shop um, locally called Printed Threads, and uh, Spoon had worked with him and and his company for our when we used to do festivals. Um, we did like Untapped, which was a craft beer and music festival. We did Index Fest, um, and he would do merch and posters for us. And so I just hit him up, and I was like, do you need any help? You know, I just had to pivot. I had to find something else to do, and luckily he needed some help, so I went to work there, and that's I still work there. Oh, okay. That's that's my 9 to 5, Monday through Friday, um, and do booking at, at night and on the weekends. But everything is ramping up very fast. Yeah. I mean, very fast. Um, everybody's, that, that's going to be the interesting thing, especially because, you know, we do shows across the state. So Houston, San Antonio, Austin, but we're based in DFW. And so the bulk of our shows are up here. Mm. And it's going to be interesting in the fall because there's going to be like a million shows every yeah. night. And so the competition's going to be crazy because we've been telling uh, 
agents and managers, hey, you should probably put your show that's in November on sale right now because mm. somebody else is going to put their show on sale and people are going to buy their tickets. And then there's going to be simple simple economics. There's going to be a lot. There's still there's plenty of demand. Mm-hmm. There's going to be a shit ton of supply. And then people are, are going to have to do some financial calculations be like what can i afford what 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 do i what do i have to see what do i want to see what could i stroll into and maybe see oh fuck my my bank account's empty yes yeah yeah because you know uh the ticket prices aren't going down um yeah i i I thought about that a little bit i'm like uh like is the demand is is the the ticket price is gonna like you know like what you said you know they're not going down because I, it makes sense that they're not because people just want to see this shit. I was I was wondering. I thought about it for a second. I'm like, are maybe ticket prices going to go down to entice people? Be like, hey, we know most of you are really broke and all that. But when the demand is so great and all the things they've been spoiled with for all these all these years, it, you know, taken, taken away. away. Yeah, taken away for a little over a year. And I yeah. honestly, I I think some. Uh, because the agents and the managers are who generally set those ticket prices. I mean, they discuss that with us as promoters, um, but being in a major market like DFW, it, it's, there's not a lot of uh, gray area on what those ticket prices should be. Oh. I mean, everybody knows. Um, and I, I kind of was starting to wonder, are some of these guys going to try and capitalize on this and increase tickets mm. um but thus far it's it's basically about the about the same as it was pre-covid i i did see there's a great instagram account called promoter versus agent or agent versus promoter um, oh i gotta find that it's re- it's really funny um and one of their ongoing things that they're happy about they make memes about it and stuff where um before COVID, there was a thing called an album bundle hmm. that was had had become popular, and no one liked it. Uh, managers did because basically what it was was it was an increase in the ticket, um, and the purchaser got the album, the new album of okay. the band. So it's kind of physical a, or digital or um, generally digital. Okay. Okay. Um, and it was a it was a forced add-on basically there wasn't a choice it, and and I the thing to me like I don't think they can I always thought well the consumer doesn't doesn't necessarily mind the increase that much from what I could tell but also the consumer already has the record hmm. they don't you're not doing them a favor yeah it, yeah. it was a way to but they're there they know the band hundred percent they yeah. checked it out yeah, yeah. and and everyone hated it because it was just, it was a lot of extra work mm. and it it was just a pain. And also, uh, a lot of a lot of agents and managers sometimes uh, don't they don't view promoters necessarily super favorably. Mm. They kind of think, oh. You're just padding your expenses. You're taking money out of my band's pocket, stuff like that. And there, like we said earlier, there are some that historically have done that. Yeah. Um, but especially as an independent promoter like Spoon, you know, we're we're a smaller entity, and we're about 
growing an artist. Like we really care about the artists that we book. And so the last thing we're trying to do is shortchange anyone, you know. Um, but there are those over the years that have kind of given a bad rap yeah. and, and done things incorrectly. And so it's just, it's, it's one of those things. The agents you've worked with over the years, they know you, they trust you. Um, but there are a lot of new, young agents that it, and this is, I'll probably get raked over the coals for this. Um, but a lot of them seem like they went and got a business degree and now they book bands. Oh, okay. Um, whereas used to, uh, a lot of the agents you worked with, they came up in their local scene. They were a door guy. They were, you know, a bar back. They, they did their own tour booking for bands along the way. So they, they were there when bands showed up. They're friends with people in bands. They huh, have exactly. an insight to how like the show goes correct and they've seen so many shows yeah and they, they were want, in the trenches like, i want to make i want to help make this yeah. even better with my own correct. work ethic and all that yeah, and, so. and knowing that knowing how that goes and that's like i did tour booking for a number of years and for smaller artists and so when i got on the other side of it as a promoter i was able to use that experience to, to, to understand where a band's coming from. Like, oh, they roll into town, like, do you have a clean bathroom? Mm. Do, you, <laughs> do, you, do you have a really good water source? Yeah. You know, um, just, just the little nuances that uh, road life. Like, yes, we have some third world amenities. That, yeah. Or well, amenities third world might not even have. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, like it's, wow, this is easy. It's super similar <laughs> no. to. Uh, my experience with touring comedians that you have brought to mass because I didn't have a ton of experience mm. with comedians before that and listening to them talk they it, it's the same grind yeah you know and so you're just trying to provide some comforts and make sure that all their basic questions are answered and if they need something they know hey I can go to Brian he's got me you know and so that's I don't. I don't. I lost what we were even. We wormholed there a little bit. Uh, <laughs> like uh, talent buying post COVID, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Uh, it's it's definitely ramped back up and it's going hot and heavy now. I mean, it's the calendar is. I mean, you know, pre COVID, some t certain clubs that are super in demand. Um, you would get a seventh hold or something. Oh, yeah. wow. But usually there's, in my experience, <laughs> but like, well, there's usually like a first and third, or second and third hold. Yeah, generally you'll get like three to four. Okay. Um, wow. But some clubs, like, you know, I've gotten holds at Club Dada or Trees that were an 11th hold. Wow. You know, okay. because uh, a lot of agents, while they're trying to work out their routing, they're grabbing seven to 10 days. Um, for each market and so that gives them the flexibility and they're working out the availability and the kind of the satellite things where they'll do radio and so there's a lot of moving parts that they're trying to line up um, but yeah now it's definitely back to that you're, you're back to even venues that aren't as much in demand are deep 
and holds because it's just like we'll fucking play anywhere yeah yeah i mean yeah it, it makes you think it's like is is every market gonna be like south by where somebody's like playing at a wendy's oh. you know <laughs> so like off of 35 yeah. like oh we're at the walgreens it's down there like there's a bunch of tents let's go play for those guys <laughs> yeah. Like, okay yeah, you know exactly the wendy's i'm talking about <laughs> For anybody that is listening, that is right in the background because we are in a garage uh, and it's raining. So uh, it's not an added effect. It's just uh, the coincidence of the day. So if you are listening to this and you want to listen to all of it, probably don't do it while you drive because it might lull you to sleep. (laughs) But this this is a nice, lazy day podcast to learn about talent buying uh, pre, during, and post-COVID. It is a nice touch. With the soothing soothing rain sounds here in Fort Worth. But I'm Lakshmi. <laughs> we'll try not to get into our NPR voices as to completely put any of our dear listeners into comatose state. But it is, it is nice to be able to smoke and drink. This is why I want to do the podcast to talk to people that I want to talk to. But also, not every situation is going to be like this. But in my second episode, I'm already spoiled by being able to smoke and drink with my with my guest who's also smoking and drinking and I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is it. I, I wish I had a patio. And so the garage is the best. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> the oh, that's best fine. Second option. Oh, it, it's doing its job. Yeah. It's keeping us and the dogs quite dry. If it weren't so humid, it's it would pretty, be, it's pretty humid. But yeah. we're, we're Texas it's boys. Texas. So. We're fine. We're so where, to... speaking of being Texas boys, where, where are you from? You said I mentioned small town earlier. I I grew up in a town called Gatesville, um, which is west of Waco. Okay. Um, so, yeah, probably I don't know thirty miles west of Waco. So you're not going to accidentally drive through it. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, it's we we have Fort Hood, so that's mm. oh and okay. Then, and then we is have, that the city that the base is in? Uh, or partially. Okay. Yeah, there's like Copper's Cove and Colleen and mm, okay. I guess part of Temple maybe even. But besides Fort Hood, we have um, a large prison system. Okay. So, and from from uh, this could be totally wrong, but from what I remember being told when I was younger that I think in the four, 40s or 50s, the town had the option to get like a community college or to get a boys school for like juvenile delinquents. Oh, okay. And they thought the latter would provide more income. And so they did that and it so it started as a boys, you know, like juvenile delinquents thing and then it grew and now there's a maximum security prison, there's a women's prison, there's wow. there's every tier of prison. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like it's like the Huntsville of Central Texas or something. Mm. But, and then we're the spur capital of Texas. That's, that's... Like, uh, the kind of get caught on your shoelaces? Like, oh, cowboy fun. spurs. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like, there's a whole museum. It's a, I mean, it was a great place to grow Move up. Move over Thimble Museums. Exactly. Because we got the spurs. Ball of yarn. <laughs> Not the Who basketball cares? team you love so much in this remote area. <laughs> Yeah, it's just Tim Duncan just <laughs> stay, stay there. It like, was... Tim Duncan, it's so great to meet you. you kind of stop talking about spurt. No, the team you're on, not the actual. Oh, Didn't he you're a great always... player, but you're so boring. He always looks so confused. <laughs> I've never 
I'm trying to think of a basketball player that just has a constant look of confusion on his face. It worked for him, it seems. Yeah, he did fine. Maybe that was just a tactic to confuse. They're like, oh, this tall asshole doesn't know what he's doing. Ah, oh, shit, they won another championship. <laughs> I think Tim Duncan has a patio. He's, no. not, he's not podcasting in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> so how'd it go from uh, small town, Texas, to... You, you went to... Where'd you go to college? I know you went to college uh, somewhere. I, I went to MCC in Waco um, for a couple years, did the basics on the cheap, and then moved to, I had a friend that had moved to Oklahoma City, and so I moved up there to like play music, and made we made like some stupid little short films and stuff, nothing uh, of any quality for public consumption. It was just <laughs> two guys be trying to like trying to be creative and not really knowing what else to do. Yeah. And then I had um, some friends that had moved out to Lubbock to go to Texas Tech, and they were like, "Man, you should you should think about moving out here. Um, we you could sleep on the couch and." I went out there for a Rob Zombie and Mastodon concert, and I was sold. I okay. was like, okay. <laughs> and so I, I moved out You'll there. You'll get concerts here? Down. <laughs> well, it, yeah, that's the thing. I didn't really. I, had, I think when I was in high school, we had gone to Lubbock for an Eagles concert. Okay. So that tells you where my head was uh, a little bit. But So I didn't really know anything about Lubbock. I just knew it was way out west. And... So moved out there, and um, I yeah I think that was in the summer of probably like '05, and then I enrolled at Tech uh, for journalism, and the probably the biggest thing that happened for me was Texas Tech had an amazing college radio station. Okay, uh, it was KTXT. 88.1, 35,000 watts. It was student run. It was just, I I went, I met some people. They were like, let's, we're doing a hiring thing. You should come. So I, and I got a early like 7 a.m. shift, you know, and you, you, you were on playlist, but you got to pick like two songs an hour or something. Okay. And then from there, I got a specialty show where I did like, uh, country Americana bluegrass folk um, music um, and then I a uh, position came open for promotions director which was the person that put on the shows okay and I got that and that's how I really got into kind of what I still do today where I just started putting on shows um, through the radio station and then some just on my own and it was great because it it spoiled me because Lubbock as you know there's nothing you know I mean you're not gonna go drive two hours and get to anything so it's you're the just, stark definition of a college town yeah 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 it's just it's especially when tech's good at football and even basketball I well, think and somewhat I would, yeah honestly I was there when like Crabtree was there mm. and that game where they beat UT at the very end, like, I mean... I don't give any shits about college football, but I know exactly where I was. I was at some party, uh, a good friend of mine, it was her boyfriend's apartment. I was in this, 
apartment surrounded by a bunch of bros that they were, totally I think yeah. everyone there pretty much was going for UT and I just hated where I was at. I was there because I was like, it was a party or something to do. Don't know yeah. who I'm going to meet. I was a single guy at the time. Like, who knows what's going on? Yeah. And then they had it on a big projector. And that was the high scoring one that just kept going back and forth, yes. right? Uh -huh. And yeah. so anytime Tech would do something, I, was, I think I was out on the patio, like smoking cigarettes. So I, kinda, I could see through the window and like Tech would score. And I would just silently say to myself, yes. Be the like, kind of antagonist. I'm a guy, Tech but, fan yeah. for this night. <laughs> just to, And they end up winning, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And I was, I was it so was happy. A, he, yeah, <laughs> Crabtree had like a one handed catch right by the, like he was almost out of bounds mm. and got it and got like real close to the end zone it was a huge i mean it it was crazy because if i remember right i was at my friend pat's house uh and pat was the guy i did the the kind of country radio show with and he had a really great front porch and it was right across from campus and right across from one of the biggest like bars where a lot of like kind of fratty sport, oh, yeah. sports guys went and there was only one outlet, I guess, to leave, you know, where it, like, dips down. Mm. But there was one that looked like it was an outlet, but it wasn't. It was just a curb. So we just watched these drunk guys just drive off of this curb and, like, oh, yes. fuck their cars up all <laughs> night. It was amazing. I was at a funeral viewing and saw that one time. <laughs> it, was, it was high school, and this girl I'd known since, like, elementary and she was just like a, a friend you know, a friend of sorts that I was maybe have a class with here and there and like she passed away for some like food poisoning thing and then oh so God. me and uh, a couple you know the friends that you know had gone to elementary junior high and high school we were like alright you know we're gonna go and you know, we went and we we're standing outside and it was weird just like kind of being there because it's like I barely know her but it's like I've known her I'm like alright I've known her totally long time i guess and, yeah. uh and so not to be stereotypical but okay so she is uh i believe uh korean and so you know and there's there's no qualms about like you know asian people love cars so it was a lot of like i i know nothing about cars but a, a cars lot of or, yeah a yeah. lot of cars set lower yeah. and so me and you know this group of friends that you know that we all went through school with, we're standing outside just like talking and we just, there was this gnarly dip and we just, every time, and it got to a point where it's like, there's, we kind of just like, kind of started laughing every single time a car would come. It was like another Honda Civic just, and we're like, oh man. It's like, that's, and you know, those people for a quick second, they know they're going to a viewing. It's so, you know, they're like, <laughs> and then they're like, no, no, we're, we're here for Linda. And then, you know, they find a place to park and come on in. But it was just constant. Like, dozens of times it happened. We were like, oh, God. I think that's my favorite lead-in to a story I've ever heard. I was at a funeral viewing. <laughs> you want to talk about people driving over curbs. So I was at a funeral viewing. <laughs> that, yeah, that, that's, a, <laughs> that's a great setup for whatever follows. <laughs> but, yeah, I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, so we, did. yeah, yeah, so, um, oh, well, yeah, I, I got spoiled out there because it seemed like, and there were plenty of shows that weren't attended that well, but for the most part, 
if you booked a show, people were just like, oh, wow, a band's stopping in Lubbock? Yeah. And so we would just have amazing turnouts for all of these shows. And like, with people that wanted to check out something they probably most likely never seen a lot of them hadn't and the funny thing was that's a that's a weird that's a weird crazy situation <laughs> it's yeah, like it, it's so different from dfw you know because like dfw you have to market to the people that you know will most likely know the band or correct. like adjacent types of music you know 100 you know. yeah the whole the whole concept in the marketing of of shows um in at least in major markets is very much that because there is a lot of competition and but yeah exactly what you just said that's how you traditionally market whereas in lubbock a lot of times people were coming out that had no idea who the band was it was just because there was something going yeah. on and i i really feel like the listenership for that college radio station sure you had a lot of students but we were kind of the odd guys out you know we weren't you know it was you had a lot of dfw guys that went out there to get business degrees you know you had a lot of girls that i i i had a class with a girl one day that straight up said i came out here to get a husband oh wow like <laughs> i'm my parents are paying for me to get a degree and get a husband like that's basically <laughs> and so a lot of the listenership for the radio station were actually just people that lived in town that were not in college mm. at all. And so we just had these outstanding attendance uh, at, at, at our shows. Like we, the, we booked Tao and they get down Stay Down when her first record came out. And I, I remember at the end of the night, I went to pay her because I'm not even sure she had a tour manager on that tour. I think I might have just paid her directly. And she was just like, "Is it, are you sure this is right? Like, how can it be this much money? Oh, oh, yeah, And it's yeah. like, well, we're a, not... A like, good question. Yeah, correct, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, we're not a traditional promoter. We're, you know, we, we weren't really, you know, keeping uh, a cut. We weren't, we didn't have our expenses the way a traditional promoter would because we had free advertising. We had a radio station oh. that a ton of people listened to. So it was, we, it's like, we played your song every two hours for the last month. Like, mm. people love your music. And so it was just so easy to do. I mean, we booked Dawes and Deer Tick, I think, as a joint. They were, like, touring together. Okay. And they, early on in both of their careers, and and we would just have shows like that that, that you would get and you look back on it now and you're like I can't believe the band even stopped and love it because most of the bands were like I, I never even heard of this place yeah. until our agent sent us our you know our tour sheet and we were like okay well they may have heard of Texas Tech yeah maybe but then, then they but they also didn't know where the fuck that was had no yeah. clue where it was I mean they were happy that they didn't have to drive like, because normally they would play like Phoenix or Albuquerque. Yeah, and then have to drive through West all Texas. All the way. Which, yeah, so they were glad they. I've never to stop. done, but I've never heard a good thing about it. Dude, it is. <laughs> oh, God. And I'll I'll take people for at their word about it. It's like a bunch of flat bullshit. It is a yeah. it is a long haul. I mean, it's 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 quite the drive. I, a buddy of mine booked Dillinger Escape Plan in Abilene at like a community center. Oh my God! Yeah. Wait, well, the guy that started Spoon. 
Uh, I believe he went to college in Abilene. Okay. And that's where he formed the idea of Spoon. He booked like, uh, it, I don't think it was, was it Appleseed Cast? Or it was, uh, no, I think he booked Sunny Day Real Estate oh, in nice. Abilene, if I remember right. Oh, wow. And that's yeah. kind of the formation. If I remember the story right, that's kind of the formation of the company. And yeah, it's just such an interesting thing to think that, that, oh, 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 <laughs> we have interference. Is your wife home? My wife is home. Oh, okay. My wife is home, and the dogs know it. Now they're distracted, so. Now they're distracted. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, like, can you imagine if you lived in Abilene, which is so much more conservative and that's, like, than Lubbock, even? Pretty much. Generously speaking, like in between DFW and Lubbock, right? Is it kind of halfway between? Um, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, it's about halfway between, I would say, because yeah, you take twenty out there, and then after Sweetwater, you take eighty-four up to Lubbock. Mm. But I, yeah, I can't imagine living in Abilene and Dillinger Escape Plan comes to yeah. town. Like that's that's insanity. <laughs> yeah, which apparently the show was. I think it was. I like a. Uh, what do you like? A, I think it was a Unitarian Church kind of a thing. Well, because there or a used, VFW, there used to one be of those a, like a DIY things. coffee shop kind of DIY space, if I remember right, in Abilene for years that would that would host shows. Um, and honestly, when I moved to Lubbock, uh, there were a couple spots kind of like that. Like all the hardcore shows in Lubbock took place at this kind of church hmm. DIY space. Okay, um, and and then all the, you know, bigger stuff. There was a club called Jake's Back Room that was a sports bar. Like, okay. and, and it was as far away from campus as you could be. It was on the other side of town. And so it's the sports bar where you have, like, 40-year-olds, mm. like highway department workers <laughs> yeah. go to get, you know. and But they had a venue in the back that was actually pretty good. Okay. And so, like, man-man, uh Centromatic, uh, I mean, uh, a lot of metal bands. They booked a lot. People in West Texas love metal. Mm. <laughs> They're really into that. But yeah, we had a lot of really, really cool shows that I kind of wish I would have kept more documentation because every now and then I'll run into somebody from back then and they'll be like, man, do you remember when so and so played? I'm like, I completely forgot that happened. Damn. Like, and it was a huge, you know, it was like a great show, great night, you know, but there were just so many shows that we, that's, that's all we did. That was all we cared about. You know, we went to school because we had to. Yeah. <laughs> and then, but. That all, gave you access to the radio station. Correct. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. But yeah. But then that, but that gave you a shit ton of credibility with people. <laughs> Well, of sorts, so you could name drop and just be like... It's it's interesting to think... Help to get hired eventually. It did. I mean, and a lot of the people that came out of that radio station wound up doing music stuff. A lot of them didn't, but I think it played a part in, in whatever field they went into. I mean, I some people started labels, some... It, it was interesting when the a lot of the people that graduated the same time I did that were at that radio station... Seems like half of them moved to Austin, and then half of them moved to like New York City, oh. and and they all did very well for themselves in regards to like 
being fulfilled, I guess. Mm, yeah. You know, uh, they didn't get jobs that they hated. Yeah. You know, so it was like, I like my job. It pays the bills. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, and especially in New York City, it's like, that's about all you can hope for. Oh, fuck. I mean, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. So expensive. I Com- have comic buddies that move out to New York and varying degrees of success and fulfillment. Yeah. I would say more than I've, there's people that have gone to LA. And they're back. One guy was back in literally two weeks. Uh, some people back in a couple months. Well, because I don't know. It's like, but that's comedy. I th- that's it's it's a lot easier, I guess, because it's just you and maybe you get a part. Like if, if you're in a, if for different, it's different with bands because you're asking a whole bunch of people to move somewhere. But as far as the logistics, yeah, you're you're right about that. But like comedy to me is. It just seems so much more frightening because it is just you. Mm. You don't have, like, you know, you uh, working with bands for so long, you, and being in bands at one point, you pretty much understand how that works. And there's, everybody has a bad night, you know, everybody, you know, has uh, a few days on a long tour where they're in a weird headspace but as as a comedian it seems like it a lot of times it's you in a rental car mm. with your own thoughts yeah <laughs> and you may not have any friends in the city you're doing stand up in tonight and that is daunting because in a band you have a support system mm. you know yeah you you can go in there knowing nobody leave with no knowing knowing nobody but at least you have your bands that you, you have can your, yeah. bullshit with on the next drive yeah but that, that's why I, I book, uh, sometimes you at least have some comics that, you know, you have comics that will go out in a group, or at least two. A headliner or a feature is probably the best model for all of that. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, or like two headliner, two guys that can like flip-flop headlining feature, or do a dual headliner thing, depending on, you know, it just depends on who they're, who they're working with, who knows how to book them correctly. And well, like luckily, them. I kind of, you know, I kind of know what a what kind of comedian I'm booking. Like they're the, they can definitely headliner or, and I'm just, you know, they're pretty honest with what they're like. I'm looking for any kind of stage time, any kind of money, whatever. I also feel like comedians are more, (laughs) you totally correct me if I'm wrong here. It seems like comedians are a little more based in reality than musicians sometimes. Whereas a, a lot of times, a musician will try and sell themselves as, hmm. oh, yeah, we'll totally bring this many people. We, yeah, we we promote and we'll, it'll be a great show. Whereas a comedian, like you just said, is. Hey, I'm looking for stage time. Yeah. Like, that's, like, that's it. Yeah. If there happened to be in from out of town, like, uh, one show that popped in my head, uh, got a Johnny Taylor Jr. and Daniel Humbarger. They're both headliners, both yeah. on uh, stand up records. They're coming through. And uh, on their way to do uh, JT Haversat's Altercation Fest, or before or after they did. Uh, so I was like, all right, they're going to be the two headliners. And then uh, two guys out of Louisiana who were on their way to L.A. And Johnny and Daniel both are from California, either flying or driving. So two guys go in the complete opposite direction, but both were able to do the show. Yeah, it was uh, Omar, Omar Finley and... I can't remember the other guy's name, but, and they had, those two guys happen to know some people in the area 
And so they brought some people. And then uh, Johnny and Daniel weren't going to, like, bring anybody. But that's, you know, the, the whole point of the, the Laugh Your Mass Off shows was just to get yeah. that, anyone in that neighborhood interested enough to come see a show and put some money in the donation bucket at the end. Well, but, then, but that was a great show. And you had, like, these two mixed audiences, too. Yeah. Because... And so, and it was a great show all the way through. That yeah. was one where I just, I, I remember a lot of details about that show where the headliners were great and the two opener guys were great. I was able to, like, you know, I pay everybody all my shows, but I was able to yeah, like, give everybody stage time. Yeah. And, like, the, the attendance was there. And Louisiana guys were just looking for stage time. And they're like, yeah, we know there's people in the area and everything. And then, uh, and Daniel and uh, Johnny, you know, I'm like, okay, these guys have albums out. You're going to do a comedy fest. They, they're headliners in their own right, and you know have their circuit that they clubs and they can headline. And so I was like, all right, this looks like a good bill. And then so which made more than must sen- enough sense to book it. But then it turned out just like to be. That. Oh yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I mean, you. It, it sometimes it feels like you only get one of those a year, <laughs> <laughs> but when it happens, you're so pumped. You're like, ah, oh, it just fell into place. It clicked. I mean, there is a lot of work involved, but it's just like. It worked out, you yeah. know. And so, some of those laugh your mass off shows were my favorites because, you know, like I said earlier, I hadn't before you started putting shows there. I didn't really have any experience with uh, yeah. live comedy. Because like Spoon is uh, kind of more specific in what y'all book, which which is what I like about uh, like in my head going to a lot of like punk and hardcore and then eventually metal shows and seeing because i'm a guy that i read the flyers you know i'm taking a piss i'm reading the flyers and so i'm soaking in all this information and over time i would hey there you go (laughs) i would see that the the two like they're margin walker and parade of flesh seem to be the two talent buyers that book the band they looked like that sometimes it seemed like they booked a show for me mm-hmm. and i was like oh fuck i love all those bands this is amazing i'm totally there yeah and and then like you know finding out the all these other uh talent buyers and then like when i you know met you i was like spoon okay i've seen uh you know seen y'all's flyers around it's not anything really specifically for me just like in the yeah. in the punk hardcore metal yeah, because, Realm, but because y'all have like, like Parade of Flesh, yeah. that's that's John's like bread and butter. Yeah, I mean because he lives that world. He he tour manages bands in that in, in that world, and and so I that's what I appreciate about somebody like John because it's true <coughs> curation. I mean, he is really curating a bill, and yeah, he knows. Like he knows that. In yeah, and out. he knows that that genre inside now. Those, those he knows those bands. Whereas if we, which is, if I, we booked it, I can't doubt that it it we wouldn't be able to market it as well because we don't. You know, a lot of those people aren't on our email list. A yeah. lot of those people maybe don't follow us. You know, but what you book isn't on theirs because correct y'all yeah. are booking. Uh, oh, what's the place in Dallas? Uh, Rustic. You know, or booking that, and that's, yeah. you know, y'all got, uh, you know, I guess the more, like, Americana-ish. Uh, yeah, we, we do, like, Americana, indie rock. There uh, you go. Indie, that's the word I was kind yeah, of... We're, we're very, <laughs> which I mean, can mean so many other things, it's but... It's a vague term. Rarely I mean. means punk metal hardcore. Correct. 
Yeah. Yeah, we we don't do a ton of that because there are other people that do it very well. Yeah. And we're not. But you're and you're barely barely competing with each other. Yeah. Because it's different tastes, and so you can, you know, you're you're friendly with everybody else because you. Which is interesting because you look at a market like DFW and. It's a major market. Anytime an artist puts out a record... Seven million plus people. Yeah. It's a first so, play. Yeah. I mean, th- if they put out a record... Like, in Lubbock, a band would put out a record, and they would hit all the major markets, and then they would do a second tour where they hit their secondary markets. Okay. And Lubbock was more like a tertiary market. <laughs> but, it, <laughs> but it was a college town, and it, was, it broke up a long drive. Um, whereas DFW is just like you know chicago new york la really and so we have a lot of people that book shows here but for the most part everybody gets along and doesn't really step on each other's toes too much and if there is a situation where two promoters are kind of competing for a show a lot of times they'll talk to each other or they'll co-promote they'll they'll do the show together um, and that's really cool because, you know, uh, there's, there's not a huge profit margin in putting on shows unless you're at a higher level. And these days, um, generally when a band gets to a certain level, Live Nation or AEG is going to get that show. Yeah. Um, they're just very monolithic forces mm-hmm. and... Uh, so there's a bit of a ceiling for an independent promoter, in, in at least in the genres that we tend to book, where you'll book the band up until, you know, uh, Granada, Majestic Theater, Canton Hall, Bomb Factory. Yeah. After that, AEG Live Nation gets it. I guess if you want to look, I guess maybe a positive way to look at that would be like, all right, we can't book them anymore, but there's a, there's a slew of other bands on a similar trajectory and you're like, all right, who's the next? But that, that comes with the territory of needing to know who those people are. Cause maybe you booked them before and they're getting bigger and they need to be at a bigger venue. And so, but that, that comes with the territory. Yeah. You, uh, you've got to, you told me, uh, I think you told me once before, uh, not Chris, but, uh, Gooch Gooch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chris Sagaguchi. Chris yeah. Sagaguchi. You're telling me he, he was, I think it was you telling me that it was like he just had, he just knows these bands that are just coming up, about oh, to man. be big, and he's all like already booking them. He's so dialed yeah. in. Yeah, dialed I mean, in. There you go, dialed in. That's he, that's the term, yeah. He, he's, he's so impressive because, you know, we all, uh, like pre-COVID, it's almost like as a small company, you're so busy that you don't have the luxury to like seek out bands as as much. You just because you're just your your workload is so heavy, so you're just trying to make sure you're taking care of what's in front of you. But Gooch, I don't know what his process was <laughs> if he had a ton of friends in LA that would like key him in on what was about to or, or it was just simply his ear and he knew uh, hey this is a like he was the first guy to bring Kuko to Texas hmm. and Kuko blew up and t- like anything in the 
I mean, it's... Uh, I'd... I know some people don't like the term, but it's really what they call it, is the Latin X indie okay. kind, of, kind of vibe that was happening in LA. And Gooch was the first one to do it and just crushed it. I mean, he, I can't give enough props to that guy. He, I mean, because for Margin Walker um, in Dallas, it was Chris Yeomans and Chris Sagaguchi. And, and, and Ryan Henry for a while before uh, before he left, and Gooch was the guy that knew all the cool new stuff before anyone else. And Yeomans, which was is a talent, that oh, is God. a talent to super impressive. Ne- wanting to know that kind of stuff, and then you know, for your business needing to know that kind of stuff, holy shit! Well, imagine like <laughs> your natural instincts are just help are the main pipeline for your business. Oh yeah, he he was <laughs> such a such a he just, I mean, very impressive. And, and and the other side is having somebody like Chris Yeomans, who's been in the business for so long and has the relationships with agents and managers and who toured with, played with the Paper Chase, mm. toured with Bill Callahan. You know, I mean, played with a lot of people and spoke the language better than anyone. You know, like really just really understood the business and was able to change with it as the business changed. Um, so yeah, those, those guys were just really always impressive. And also really, even though we were, you know, technically competing, mm. uh, some of the nicest guys, like just great to hang out with, um, and never crazy territorial or anything yeah. like that, you know? That's rare, like especially in something as competitive as the music industry, and then all these venues, and then like me finding out how like you know you have like radius clauses and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> it, to me, like if you don't know anything about the side of the business, to me it's just like, why can't these, why can't they just play all these nights here or something like that? Or like yeah. there's some this is something I've kind of thought about and like how you know DFW Dallas and Fort Worth, all the city, seven plus million people. Like, maybe this is feasible, but maybe it just doesn't make sense on a business side. But I'm like, man, why can't a band, like a mid-level band, play Dallas one night and then Fort Worth another night, or the, the next night, and vice versa? Does that make any sense business-wise? Say Fort Worth had a, a capacity of venues kind of like Dallas, because obviously Dallas has way more than Fort Worth now. Correct. Could that be feasible for a band? It, we've At done it before, okay. um, but it like not not like a band selling out. Well, hell, I don't even see why it wouldn't like if a band's big enough, like they could play, you know, uh, Bomb Factory or not. Well, hell, what's what what is now what Starplex Smirnoff, what Coca Cola Center or whatever the fuck it's yeah, called. Yeah, I now. always forget what they. It's could a they new, play that and it, then Dickies in Fort Worth, like on two different nights or? It, it would never happen that way. Okay. Especially at that level. Yeah. At that level... Because there's so much that goes into a show. I kind of see how it's kind of like... The radius clause kind of shields them from something like that, which... Yeah, those are... Well, and also... Even even smaller bands, if they're with one of the main agencies, um, those tours are planned about a year in advance. Oh. Um, and so... Uh, Especially the larger you get, you know, if you're playing like an arena, I mean, there's 
you probably have anywhere from four to ten 18 wheelers mm-hmm. with with your production gear okay and just saying that makes me realize oh okay that's such a, a ignorant novice way of looking just kind of like why can't they just do both there's two big cities and seven million people around well and also <laughs> I'm like oh yeah there's the there's the logistics side of the, the nuts and bolts of literally putting the shit building it up and then breaking it down oh and yeah even I mean, even if there's sold out shows on both ends it's still a massive massive operation huge yeah. undertaking where uh which i've only seen in passing <laughs> yeah you look at some of these like the, the larger ones like uh the, they they will have a crew that goes ahead of them so mm. say they're playing dallas tonight and they're playing uh albuquerque or phoenix in a day or two they have a secondary crew that goes and drives ahead to that city yeah. and starts building. Okay, yeah. While they're playing their show in Dallas, and that crew will tear down that night, and they just, like, hopscotch each other. I mean, they... No, that it, makes total sense. I met a guy one time uh, who he was wearing a Rammstein shirt, and I was like, man, I totally saw them a couple years ago at American Airlines I Center. That was a great show. That was great, uh... I'll tell you how I got the tickets here in a second. But he told me, he was like, yeah, I was on the crew for that. I was like, oh, dude, because if, yeah, if you want to talk stage show, Rammstein. Uh, it so much fire. Is <laughs> at, not the popularity, worldwide, you, know, you, you can talk about, you know, they're, they're not like Katy Perry, Taylor Swift level. But, man, stage show, it. It is in a different way. Like it is the one of the biggest fucking stage shows, and they can do that shit all over the world. And yeah. he told me that it took them four days, three or four days, to build that. To build it, there's a there's a YouTube video <laughs> of a time lapse of uh, their Rammstein's crew building. Oh, uh, it's I think it's yeah. some like stadium in Europe okay. and, and it's a time lapse and you get to watch them build the whole thing I mean it's it's crazy yeah it's next level stuff uh, I got these tickets okay so I, whenever I tell someone this I, I like I like to say something weird I realize I, I talk to my girlfriend this way I say some weird innocuous shit just you know it's, I was at a funeral she, she, <laughs> like she's my girlfriend she has to listen to whatever I say why can't I just get to the fucking point I, I, I can't I just so when I when I bring this up I'd be like oh yeah I got to see Rammstein one time thanks uh, to one of the guys in Color Me Bad and then they're like wait what and I'm like and then I think I do that because I guess I'm too uh, too much of a comedian to where I need to say something to get people to hooked get the attention and they're like yeah. wait what how does how does the one guy in Color Me Bad <laughs> lead to you yeah. seeing Rammstein. I was just like, aha, aha, I have your attention now. We'll sew this together so, yeah. for you. Yeah. It's like, aha, now you're not going to go talk to that person. Uh, so I worked at a restaurant in, uh, in Arlington, a seafood restaurant, and uh, one of the hostess, the host, uh, uh, her name was Tammy. And she she this she'd been there for a long time. She of just course. did this on like the it's weekends. Tammy. She has like a con, she had uh, like a furniture consignment store as her like full time gig. Dang uh, Tammy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so and she was there for the longest time, and you know she's just as like mid forties, still like looking good. <laughs> and but also just from the get go, I you know I knew also I was a good waiter. Also I knew. You just don't piss off Tammy. Don't. You don't cross her. You're nice to her. She's also a nice person, uh, but she's also someone who could give you a death stare. If you, oh, so I was just like, 
all right, be nice, be super nice to her. If you and name she'll your sit child Tammy, mm. they, they, there's a death stare yeah. that is just instilled <laughs> in them. And they're probably going to work Which, at a seafood restaurant in Arlington at some point. <laughs> and so, uh, so I got to, you know, know her and, uh, uh, you know, nice to her. She sat me, you know, section. There's no issues over there. And uh, apparently I've been nice to her, nice enough to her for long enough to where she, uh, I was, I, I clocked into work, went up there, saw, you know, go up there, see where my section was at. You know, it was like a Friday, Saturday night. She's like, oh, hey, Brian, do you, uh, and she like reached in her purse and like pulled out these tickets. She's like, do you like uh, Ramstein? I was like, Ramstein? <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a fan of theirs. Yeah, they're they're pretty kick ass, and I was probably gonna go into like what they were. I knew she didn't know who they were, but uh, I was like, yeah, I'm a fan. So she me, she's like, yeah, do you do you want these? My husband and I have season tickets to the Mavericks games, uh, and they give them concert tickets too. No way. I and her know husband that. is one of the dudes in Color Me Bad, who are out of Oklahoma City. So that. Tammy's married to one of the guys from yeah. Color Me Bad. The black dude. I don't know his name, but I just like, okay. And the thing is, you, you Color Me Bad, I thought it was like, I thought it was four black dudes. No, it was one black dude and three white dudes. I'm like, oh, okay. But so I I had met them. You should have Tammy on the podcast. <laughs> if she's still at Rockfish, maybe I can find someone who still knows her. But like, I had met him and like, they had come up and eat plenty of times, you know, met him. I was like, oh, cool. You know, I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know. Uh, so I just met him in passing, and it was just but nice to Tammy. You know, yeah. never gave her any problems. She gave me these tickets to Ramstein, and and parking passes. So I was like, oh, okay. Which, if anyone has not been, if they're not, especially from DFW, that's a huge plus. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah, yeah. And so I hit up my buddy Regis, who I'll be interviewing tomorrow. He's a sound guy. I he's a guy I went to elementary, junior high, and high school with. He's a sound. He's a sound engineer, sound guy, bass player. His dad is a big time sound guy. Like, oh, wow. uh, like I'm saying, Britney Spears, Rolling Stones, Whoa. and then everything else connected. Like uh, he does every year Trans Siberian Orchestra. Wow. His, so his he comes from. I'm like, How, you have these fucking amazing. Parents. And I'll get into all that with him tomorrow. I'm very interested well, in that. I, and I know I know his parents, you know, pretty well by now, but. Uh, he just has these rad fucking parents, and uh, I, I, I hit him up because I he I owed him a concert because he had uh, we had uh, he took me like uh, we went and saw Primus uh, like months before that, and he just he you know he knew some people. You Where know. was that? At? That was at uh, Southside Ballroom. Wow, Primus so, Southside Ballroom. That's cool. And so like he walked up. Apparently, I guess he had tickets there, or he knew that person. I don't know how. I didn't ask. Yeah. He was like, you want to go see Primus? So I was just like, I was like, oh man, maybe he goes, I got his, t-. he goes, I, I, I'm getting a set. And I knew, I was like, oh, he's got the hookup. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. So he walks up there, gets the tickets. We walk in, have a great time. And so I was like, hey man, uh, <laughs> this is the uh, level of confidence that one, his first name's Ryan, but his last name's Regis. So he just goes by that. <laughs> I was like, hey man, uh, thanks to the, Thanks to the host that uh at Rockfish, I got tickets to Rammstein and uh I'm like and Which I, is another of course phrase thought, you didn't think you would probably ever yeah, say. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, hey man, I got his tickets to Rammstein, you're going with me. He goes, Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's no no no. Said. It wasn't like yes, I am agreeing to this offer. It was yes, 
that's what's going to happen. Like he knew this, but was not in a idea. condescending way. He's just a guy that has this this confidence about him that you're just like, ah, oh, you son of a. But he's also one of the nicest fucking dudes yeah. in the world. He was just like, yes, that is the gentleman. I think it was like, yes, that is the gentleman's agreements that we have made. And it's like he didn't know I got the tickets, but he just I was like, yeah. So you know, we went and it was a great fucking time. You know, the Dude. opener of that show was a DJ remixing Rammstein songs. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of badass. Yeah, it was kind of it was kind of dubstepy because dubstep was like really popping yeah. off at the time. But it was just like, I was like, man, who's gonna open for Rammstein? That's gotta be. And it was just like some DJ there as people were still just kind of filing. I think everyone kind of knew that that was the opener. What They're is just the kind of filing in. Name? The like oh, ripped, attractive, yeah, I, guy. I do not know. It's but. like his cousin. He's like, all right, man, I'm gonna give you a leg up. I got, you, I got you. You know our songs? Of course you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Already did it. You just hit a button. Make them just, sound weird yeah. and heavier heavier at times. And uh, our crowd will love it because they're already there for us. Dude, I and honestly, I bet the Rammstein fan base is devoted. Oh, yeah. Like, super devoted. I mean, and our seats were all right, but they, you know, I, I'm not complaining at these free seats, but I know people pay plenty of money to be much, much further down than we were. To feel but, the heat. <laughs> oh, yeah, the heat. And then maybe get a little bit of the uh, the foam metallic penis that was their, nice. their closer that just sprayed all over the front a few rows. A little guar kind of going yeah. on there. Nice. But uh, a very sexual guar. <laughs> Dude. Which that band is just totally, totally sex. They have a video of on Pornhub. If you Wait, want to watch one of their videos, Rammstein or so, Guar? Uh, Rammstein. So they oh, have a no. video for their song called Pussy. <laughs> Rammstein doesn't fuck around with metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in their videos, to maybe the, have some uh, imagery, you know, some German illusions. culture to the point. The song Pussy, it's about pussy. If you read the lyrics, it's just, just, literally, the lyrics are... It's not an acronym. You have a pussy, I have a dick, so what's the problem? Let's do it quick. But sung in his German bravado and yeah, all that. Yeah, But to see the fully unedited video, which I don't even think there's an edited version, because what's the point? <laughs> you you have to go to porn. And what's funny is I informed, uh, this was like, before the concert happened, uh, I was hanging out with that bu- same buddy, Regis, and we were at a couple of his friends. We went to like a haunted house in Fort Worth, and uh, we're hanging out with some people at his apartment, and they had not seen this video. I don't know how I came across it. Uh, it, it was through something else. It wasn't through just general yeah. cornering. It was just, I was like, <laughs> well, oh, I don't I know think about if this. you go to Pornhub's homepage, it's just going to be like, hey. You never know. <laughs> but... I was like, "Have you seen this? Have you seen the video for Pussy?" And they're like, "No, I haven't." I was like, "Oh, we gotta, we gotta watch it." And then, uh, so in it, it's they said because there's six guys in Rammstein, and they the whole video uh, is like six, five or six different like classic porn tropes. Okay. Of just yeah. like you know, you pizza come, delivery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then uh, so it's just like they got these like just classic looking porn stars, fake tits, and all that. There's People coming in, they're like, yeah. Like, looking at the camera, like, yeah. And, and then, you know, sexual acts begin. But when you your first ever viewing, you, you're like, oh, my God. Dude, this band's hardcore. They, <laughs> these guys, are, everyone in the band is, like, fucking one of these porn stars. This is crazy. But when you... I actually had I read about the video. It's all stunt cocks. 
And I'm like, stunt cop. I'm like, the best oh. ska band that never was. <laughs> but like that. So when you look at the editing, you're like, oh, like you don't actually ever see uh, like, all right, his face, oh, sexual organ, her. Gotcha. And it's all, but it's very well edited because you watch that and you think Rammstein just hit another level. You know Rammstein is has all the groupies they want. Totally, yeah. All the uh, what's the all the big titty goth girls that yeah. they want. Yeah. But it, you see that and you're like, oh my god, they they totally did that. Well, they're not really, but it's still an amazing video, and that's why it has to be on on porn sites because yeah. it, it shows all it shows everything, everything. porn does. But it, you think the band is just because. I think the lead singer has uh, has like five or six kids with like all different women. So I, yeah, obviously I, he yeah. gets around. I think that's right, yeah. That's why he wrote a song about his favorite hobby. What? You throwing up a yellow card? Oh, yeah, yeah, here. Uh, that's why the pause is for. All right. We are back after a potty break and a beer run. Okay. <laughs> Apologies was, was for the... Twofold. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was a twofer. Uh, again, no, no time taken away from you, dear listener. Sorry for the... Uh, again, this is the second episode of an amateur podcast, so no complaints. That, it would have been weird to record the pee break and the beer run. Oh, that would be too much. We'd have to move the equipment through the rain. and Yeah. That's, uh, but we get back, it's still raining. There's still birds. Chirping. What's weird is I, for a second, because it's been raining this whole time, and that's just been a thing, we're used to it, I heard the birds, and for a split second in my stupid brain, I was just like, does this podcast thing have, like, a bird sound that I hit or something? That's just, <laughs> oh, God. I'm like, no, no, no. It's just this. No, that's, that's nature. <laughs> we could literally just, after this, just hit record on here and just put up an ambient rain track for absolutely no reason. Who knows? Just, just branch out the podcast into other categories. Just the more subcategories I can legitimately just, get this thing added on to. Just tag. Make sure and tag. Like, man, that guy should... had that really excellent rain and bird chirping sound. But, man, he has this one where he talks to people. It fucking sucks. I'm uh. not into that. I've definitely booked some bands over the years where I they did stuff like that. You know, just, it's like you, you have your noise rock bands, um, and then you have the ones where they do ambient sounds and it's really so, so you've booked tool <laughs> you didn't tell me that alan yeah basically and oh. and you just it's i love watching people's faces in the crowd because there's always a moment where it goes on long enough where you know you can you can act like yeah i'm into this <laughs> but after a period of time yeah. everybody gets shifty it drags and yeah it's like do uh well I, I guess I could, I could use the bathroom right now. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I definitely need a beer. I hope this right? goes on for like good three <laughs> minutes because I can wiggle my way through the crowd, pee, and then probably get a drink on the way back. And by the time they'll actually start playing music again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. It's Which just, I don't like. Yeah. If a band tries it, that's fine. The only what sucks is uh, like say you listen to an album and you know the album, you like the album, or hell maybe you're you know the band, you're checking a new album, and they have like some weird ambient filler stuff in between yeah. that's fine what that really fucks up is like say you're driving on your spotify and you hit shuffle and you're like no i wanted just straight fucking metal or 
I didn't. Oh, I didn't want the ambient fucking track. Oh or god. Or it's like, do you remember that post rock band Red Sparrows? Yes. And so they would have like concept albums about like some. Their like, album. Their title. The the song titles were sentences, and yes. the album made like a like a little poem or something. Hundred percent. Yeah. And then so you would. And yeah, I've had two of those albums. You no, skip I like a track, Sparrows, yeah. and it's like, you know, like there's some like fascist dictator speech for a second <laughs> or something or like you know just some. Weird stuff. Oh, punk bands were really bad at using the same clip. Like, three or four different punk bands would use the same, like, speech from, like, some radical guy in the 60s or something. It was, uh, it was like, I, I know Good Riddance was one of them and a couple other bands. It's like, some guy was yelling, it's like, we gotta butter, throw our bodies on the gears of the apparatus. You know, I was like, that's cool when you hear that for the first time and then, like, a punk song kicks into full gear. But then, like, you hear that again, you're just like, oh, which band heard this from... Then you have to look at the chronology of when those songs came out and be like... And you're probably like, thanks a lot, Jell-O. Oh, look, another band, Red Howard Zen. Cool. (laughs) Can you just play fucking music with some simple, dumb lyrics I can yell on to? And you know that band, like, totally grabbed, like, a McRib before the show or something? It's like, man... Way to, way to Ethics are great when they're just on the album art and <laughs> yeah. liner notes. It's like, yeah, I know you guys totally choked down dollar menu shit this entire six-week tour. <laughs> yeah, not everybody can be... Uh, oh, God, what was that? I went I, I went with... Uh, it was either ACL or Fun 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 Fest one year with Dave Mayer. And such a blast. Such a good time. Um, and... We went and saw some. He's gonna if he hears this, he's gonna kick me in the. Oh, head. I want to get to him eventually. I it's, got I got a run. I got a list in my head. We of, saw some legendary punk band that he was so stoked to see, and they were amazing. But Minutemen, I'm just probably. It, it actually <laughs> like I actually know the Minutemen. This oh, was okay. I think this might have been an English band. Um, the lead singer's name is Dick. The idols, everyone's talking about. Oh them. no, this was so, like oh okay, older oh band. way back, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. I got you. And and that guy, I started looking into them after that, because like I knew the band name, I just never really checked it out. And that guy really lived what he. Okay, yeah. And that's probably why Dave was so into it, because Dave's Dave's authentic, I would say. <laughs> oh yeah, he's just not. A bald bartender with a sweet stash. He's, ah, the sweetest of stashes. And that's what's that's what's crazy. I've had a lot of conversations with Dave, but and it's because I've had so many. I'm like, he's one of the people I thought about. And be like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get this in, you know, a, a chunk of two hours, just because it's it's been at when I talk to him, it's been at a bar. Yeah. And with my life, I'm always talking to someone. We get interrupted because someone wants to talk to the person I'm talking to. And like 10% of the time they won't talk to me, but it's always someone's interrupt. It's always like I, I hate that person so much immediately on the spot because they, they don't even preface it with be like, hey, pardon. Like they don't even look at me yeah, like, a- like, sorry for interrupting your conversation that you were most likely enjoying, sir. I want to say hi to my friend real quick because I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks or something. But it's never real quick. They there's no fucking manners anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I want to, I'm just not caring enough to be like, um, excuse me, we were talking, <coughs> but I, I won't do that. But 
That could be a subset. It's happened enough to where I bitched about it right now. You could have another podcast called <laughs> Not Karen. <laughs> okay. And it's just you being anti-yelling at Two managers. episodes in, Alan. I'm not looking for spinoffs <laughs> yet. Eventually. Gotta think ahead. Gotta think uh, ahead. Eventually. Dave, Dave Mayer will be a great guest because the, the little nuggets of wisdom and the fun stories that you hear just between him serving drinks are great. I can't imagine. I mean, well, I can't imagine. I've, I've sat down and he's also a great cook. Mm. He's really good red beans and rice. I see the pictures. Yeah, through, it looks through the roof. shit looks immaculate. He's I'm pretty one. sure though after that that conversation, he'll he'll will either become enemies or he will have converted me into a communist by then. So we'll see what happens because <laughs> we've had plenty of political <laughs> discussions, but I'm like what's funny is at the end of it all, I'm like he doesn't know that he really like, no, he he really you know he believes in a lot of like you know pro-gun very leftist kind of shit correct yeah i i'm like i kind of take the other side on some things but also at the end of the day i don't care about my politics i don't care about politics let alone my own i just don't i do what i have to do to survive and i think that's what everyone should do you know honestly i just don't want to read books about it i think a lot of people anymore are just kind of yeah i mean it's a it's it's a very fast kind of society trying to make enough money to pay your bills yeah. and so I think most people are but I don't have time to read Karl Marx I gotta go fucking make some money okay but again that's why like I think especially and I always think well the kids because yeah when you're in your especially your early 20s that's when you're consuming a lot of that you're reading a lot of that stuff and fucking yeah. And, and yeah and you're like well I read it I gotta tell people about yeah. it you're like but do you have to tell them every time yeah. oh like, yeah like I don't know how many you know like you're at a show and you're go to have a cigarette and inevitably there's some kid talking about I like, read some oh, the one thing that is that I've noticed recently is some people I know that are just like super on the leftist progressive side, however you want to label it. They're like, I've been reading theory. I'm just like, man, when you say that, it sounds like you want to tell, it's like, that's your Bible. That's like the people you hate that quote the Bible. Well, if you, if you want to quote Marxist theory to me, that's exactly how it's coming off to me. Yeah. Cause can't we just have a fun conversation? It's kind of you and, said something in between seeing these bands about like read the room. Exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, there. I mean, that's what I thought coffee shops were for. Like they used to be. Now it's just like get on your are, laptop and do your homework. Like, why are they bringing that to? Like, I don't know how many times I've been at a show where you're trying to just kind of like chill out for a second or talk about some something not heavy. You're yeah. like, I'm just trying to have a kind of an easy Talk about here. other bands you like to see. Yeah. <laughs> that's the easy. That That's what I loved about shows, especially. And, you know, I maybe I've I didn't, maybe I've kind of always been in, never really felt like an extrovert, but especially doing, com, you know, doing comedy in my young 20s and still doing that. And my job has me talk to people. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy talking to people. I like being an extrovert. And so that's what also what I like about going to shows is you'll, you know, that's what also is great about the band shirt thing. You wear a band shirt, someone else was a band shirt, you're like, oh, I like that band and shit. Brian has a down shirt on. Oh, don't say that. It'll get me canceled. <laughs> but I bought this shirt at a down concert. I'm going to fucking wear it because it's iconic. 
But I did see a uh, a comic out of San Antonio, a guy named Larry Garza. He, the picture of him he posted, he's on stage one time, and he was wearing the down shirt. I'm just kind of like, all right, they come after me. They got to come after Larry, too. <laughs> Larry's just, I've met him just a couple of times, a sweetheart of a dude, and battling cancer, like, off and on and everything. So Sheesh. we're all, we're always rooting for him, but I'm just yeah. like, all right, uh, now I can pull up that picture of Larry in that down shirt on stage, and they'll be like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like if you're at a show, talk about other bands, and then you, like you might make a friend or something. Or it doesn't have to. My favorite conversations. We never exchange names, and we just move on with our lives. It's, and we it's just like, had a pleasant oh, moment. It's that guy. Yeah, that guy. Oh yeah, you might see him again. The guy that told me about that band. Yeah, or like, they tell you about a band you ever heard, or you just have a human being that's able to convince you more than like an article or an algorithm. Or my favorite is. To this day, I still think my favorite is the MySpace. They gave them three spaces to put in a, a genre. Oh, I and that, about that told yeah. me enough about the band to whether I should check them out or not. I think that yeah. even if it was just punk, hardcore, metal, I was just kind of like, all right, you, all right, you brave motherfuckers. All right, I'll check this shit out. See, you think you can span all three of them? I have a theory okay. about that. All right, yeah. um, where it's the it's like the opposite of the Cheesecake Factory. Because, like, you go to Cheesecake Factory or even, like, some Sonics. It's like an encyclopedia yeah. of a menu. It's a novella, yeah. I don't need that. Mm. I enjoy, like, uh, that's. I think that's part of the reason I enjoy Nickel City. Because there's about half a dozen things on the menu. That's and all and I, it might be one piece of paper that's, like, yeah. taped to a, a board. <laughs> yeah. Well, they can replace if they want, but that's it. I just that's don't it, need that Pick many from options. That. Yeah. Just keep it simple. But I, w- the MySpace thing, I remember when bands started to started to like think they were funny, where like a like a band was like one guy with a keyboard and a bunch of samples, and he would label it oh. like death metal hardcore. <laughs> it's like shoegaze, ska, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> country. Oh god, now that's you should win an award if you can. Combine those effectively. Country shoegaze. Oh god, man! I, it'd be like drone bluegrass or something like drone grass, which sure. that's a, that's a metal band probably already. That probably exists. They're Brazilian. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and they do it better than anyone in America ever could. Man, that what you were saying about um, where you know you'll talk to people at shows like that's. That was kind of, I think for everyone, the thing about going to shows was so special, especially when you're younger, because a lot of times you're going and you may not know anyone. Yeah, which is a big part of my experience going to shows. Where you don't have a bunch of people you know. And, yeah. and but, but I'm like, I really want to check out these bands. And then also like still seeing live bands for the like in your first year or two into seeing live because when you see it live for the first time you're like, Oh, this is so much different than in my in my car radio or yeah. at home my stereo or yeah. even at home with headphones, which is probably the best experience. But yeah, seeing it live, it's just it takes on a whole new dimension. And yeah. then you like with me, I'm like, I just wanted more and more and more. I'm like, I'll go to that garage, I'll go to that community center. Yeah. And then eventually I started like a music that was in a properly licensed venue, which I'm not a fan of government regulation, <laughs> yeah. but also I'm also a fan of my car most likely not getting broken into. Correct. Yeah. 
That that's uh, every ding on my car is from Deep Ellum. It's, <laughs> it's it's from somebody those narrow parking spots like at trees or something where somebody I don't think they had bad intentions, but that's just what happens. Yeah, your dog gonna get home. Ding. Yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> but that that's like when when I. I after I uh, graduated college, I had a friend that was living in Nashville, and she was like, she called me one day, and I was working at a record store, and she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm working at the record store. And she's like, you should come to Nashville. And I was like, oh, yeah. And she's like, no, 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 seriously, you can you can stay with me until you, you know, you get a job, and, you know, you, you can find your own place. But she's like, all you got to do is save up enough gas money to get here and I was like all right and so I moved up there and then immediately just started going out to shows and of course didn't know anyone but you go to these shows and you there's people that well they're here we have some common interests because they're here too and that's that's a given yeah so that's a given and then you can just build on that and And, yeah chances are you got some other you wind up seeing the same people at a lot of shows you know and it's just like that's bump some smokes give out some smokes always that'll well because especially then it wasn't like i kind of joke with uh some of the people in the in the in the business where we like it's like it's a good thing that it seems like kid younger people these days don't really smoke and drink the way we did coming up it's it makes it harder for the bar you know like what if you know whether it's the bar at the venue or there's a show happening at a place that's more of a traditional bar it's it's tough for them but it's probably a good thing for that those that they're not doing that but when you and i were younger and going to shows uh for the first time that's what people did it was a pack of smokes and some pbrs and if you happen to have like a decent job or maybe you got a bonus that week maybe you bought some shots yeah (laughs) but that's what it was we just we all just drank really watered down beer and we chain smoked and watched the band you go quantity quantity yes occasional quality some pbr yeah but yeah that was about it. I mean, that was way before right. Montage. The venue's making five bucks on this can for my <laughs> yeah. six that I'm paying. Sometimes I get mad at, not I don't vocally, it's just an inside thing where I'm just like, eh, like, just like, when I start doing comedy, like, some open mics could just fucking turn into like a party almost. Just like, we're, I'm like, fuck it, you know, we, like, we either don't work tomorrow, some, some people didn't work at all, some people were, you know. Our schedules are all over the place. We're at an open mic. There's enough of us around. We're all, you know, we've all gone up. Doesn't matter if it's like a good crowd, bad crowd. You've all had good sets or not. Yeah. It's just there's enough of us drinkers around yeah. to where we're just gonna. Someone's gonna buy some shots for somebody. Maybe some shots go another way. We're all just drinking, and then next thing you know, we've closed down the bar. We're just like, oh shit. Okay, you know that that went by fast. But then we did that a lot, and there was some uh, hyenas Arlington. They had a Wednesday night open mic, and that's, like, where I cut my teeth. So that's where you guys started. Yeah, I lived in Euless at the time, and that was, like, the the closest and also one of the better, like, open mics around. And so Wednesday night, 
list of like 40 something comics you can so, you can smoke inside yeah like what and, makes uh, a good open mic is it, it depends on the depends on the place what what kind of play you know cuz you have different so many different kinds of open mics you have like a comedy club will most likely have an open mic okay and that's where like if you are taking taking it seriously to some degree you want to go up at the comedy club open mic cuz someone from the club might be there and you, you ask around of like, oh, I want to take this shit seriously. How can I, you know, get a guest spot? How can I get seen in front of someone there? Yeah. Get vouched for or something like that. So you have your comedy club open mic. Then you have different open mics at like various bar venue type places. That are and, not traditional comedy yeah. clubs. That's yeah. not their focus. They, they may or may not have like a, some kind of comedy show. Yeah. And for the most part, they don't. Maybe because they're just not a good place for comedy, but they want a night filled with literally anything. And that's where open mic comedy comes in. Yeah. Because <laughs> a, yeah. a bar needs something going on. And, uh, well, and that's how, like, that's how Laugh Your Mass Off started because. We wanted to differentiate a little bit. We didn't want to only do music all the time. Yeah. We're like, we're a music venue, but we want to be a home for all kinds of artistic yeah. whatever. And it's also built in a way, because this is also why like a place is a, like a bar, like a, say a, a bar venue is okay for a comedy open mic, not for a show, because a place can be too big. Gotcha. And that's like, yeah. say, like a place just has, you know, it's just a big ass place. And on the weekends, they'll have like some big time cover band and they'll bring a lot of people. But it's like, it's going to be really hard to like get a comedy show there that'll bring a lot of people unless you have like a big time act. But it's just like, well, if you have a big time act, they'll probably be at the club or they'll go through, they'll have a big enough name. They'll go through a talent buyer and they'll be at the appropriate spot, like gotcha. Central Herman Hall or something like that. Yeah. That's why some places just need a thing to go on. Where you, where a comic can go up, and get the words out of the joke, and work on that, and see if there's some kind of response, because that's also what you know. Comedy is, I guess, it's a double-edged sword. There's many edges to it, because you can go to a comedy open mic, you can be like, I really want to try out, the, you know, these jokes, but you go there and there's no fucking audience, and there's just some comedy friends you know, and comics are a terrible audience. Because they're either judging you or they're they feel inferior, they feel superior. They're not going to give a, a group of comics is not going to give you an honest response to a, a an actual joke you're working on for a regular audience. Yeah, you need a normal citizen yeah, that doesn't do comedy. Yeah, that's like a musician. It's like, do you want to play for people that want to come see you play music, or do you want to play for a bunch of musicians? They probably don't want to pay because they they know the musicians are just kind of like oh, he's playing that wrong or he's not sounding right. Yeah, they're. They know too much. Correct. And that's gotcha. the way I feel. You can make comics laugh if you go off the rails and say some shocking shit or you just you do some unplanned shit. That'll probably get to comics because they know they're seeing something that you, yeah. you're not. And again, a good joke can make comics laugh. I get it. But then I'm like, your, your general goal is to perform at a comedy club for 300 people On a who date aren't night or comedians yeah. and make them laugh. Which is a whole lot easier than making comics laugh. So yeah, uh, well, t- obviously I want to do the easier thing and make regular people laugh. But that's what we're doing. Well, that's and that the whole was, point of this. That was the interesting part on those laugh your mass off shows because I would I you know I would know who the comedians were because 
you would, you know, either tell me or yeah. introduce me or whatever. I love introducing people. It's something I like to You're do. really good at it, you know. <laughs> Especially, like, my headliners come in, they're from out of town, be like, hey, like, T- the TJ, like, this is one of the owners, this is Alan, he's the guy that books and everything, and they, the headliners, they're like, they know, like, all right, this, these are the people that help make this shit run, so yeah. that's why I just like, I like introducing people who I know should know each other. Yeah, yeah. make the connection. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was what I... It, I, I wound up enjoying a lot was knowing who the comedians in the room were and knowing who the just general public was and then watching how they reacted. Oh, yeah. Because certain jokes that somebody would tell, the crowd would, uh, they would kind of laugh, but then like one of the other comedians would lose it. Plenty like, of times that's me. You know? Cause it, yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I love humor. Because that's the inside baseball yeah. of comedy. You and know. I'm not laughing if they're fucking up. Like, at that, no, I'm like, especially if I book the show, I'm like, oh, god damn it, you know, I'm cringing in the back. But <laughs> yeah. no, if they say something that I know is really good, and they this audience just didn't get it, because, you know, they're not, you know, they're not at a comedy club. They, I don't know how, you know, laugh your mouth off, I don't know how many comedy shows these people have even been to. True, yeah. You know, they may have seen Tim and Eric live. Like, I'm kind of going off, like, my friend's girlfriend. Like, you know, she's, they'll go see that. They'll go see something very specific. Yeah. A comedian they like. David Cross, Tim and Eric. Uh, I'm thinking about a specific person here. but And then they, like, I literally had one person, like, she saw David Cross. And this is one of his shows over at Sunshine Bar. Uh-huh. They came to Sunshine, you know, to cap the night off. And I was doing one of my shows there. And so she ended up seeing, like, two comedy shows in one night. But... David Cross, I think, had been her first ever comedy show. But then she like came and saw the complete other side of, hey, here's some real indie comedy shit at a dive bar. Where David Cross probably started, I guess, back in the day. Most likely, I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's you know, that's where you know, that's where they all start, you know, doing some bar shows that are well, hopefully and, good. And like at at comedy clubs, like specifically comedy clubs, do you have you noticed do you see some of the same like attendees that aren't they're not comedians but they go to the comedy club fairly often there's plenty of people out there that do yeah they like uh especially if they're getting free tickets (laughs) that'll help but these people have a good enough time where they're going getting the two drink minimum getting more than that yeah yeah coming out with more people that's why comedy clubs uh long-running ones you know they bring in the same comics that please the crowd uh, yeah, you know, and comedy clubs can also just kind of like you know maybe uh, some some can be stuck in their ways, but then you know, hopefully they they know to like uh, you know branch out and stuff well, like, like that here and there. Comedy is it different? But they also have the numbers, like like with like with talent buying. Yeah, they, some people they're like, oh, this guy's never been here before, but he played helium in Indiana, or you know, some of they have the numbers from that club. Be like, oh, he, they sold out half the shows there. Yeah, they're coming up. I'll fucking book them then. Well, and so like a uh, like Tim Dillon with uh, like the Fort Worth. I was lucky enough to feature for him. Yeah, and then yeah. He just and then that was November before COVID, and so uh, so it was like great fun weekend. He had some of his audience there, and by the time he came back around in like it was like September October uh, 2020, most of that crowd was his. To where he had, and he he had made the impression. Yeah, he also had a great formula that he was already doing that just you know was helped 
by COVID and nothing going on because he had his very well, yeah, successful podcast, formula? a weekly podcast, and also his videos, his little one, two minute videos that he would put out. And, you know, so those get shared around, seen by plenty so do, of people. Do you see more comics supplementing that way? He just happened to. Uh, they, they, they started doing that before. And it's probably uh, not that's why strictly com- that's why monetary, but it's to 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 boost your, your yeah. live show. Same reason I'm doing this shit. But my angle is I have all these interesting people I want to have conversations with. I'm going to record it, put it out there. Yeah. But that's why a lot of comics have, you know, Com- uh, podcasts with other comedians that can go however one of a lot of different ways i prefer i, I don't really listen to any of those just because i'm like they, they can be really funny but i prefer more informative podcasts gotcha that's yeah. just for me uh if i've been doing comedy for so long i i just i i get really worn down by hearing a group of comedians talk to to, to each other yeah, and well, because that's your life, your day to day. When you're doing yeah. these, you're talking to yeah. fellow comics. So, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, and I've been, and I usually have like a rule where I'm like, if I'm talking to like two comics and like another comic joins, then I'm just kind of like, oh, this is not gonna. There's a joke in go, there somewhere. Like, yeah. there's not gonna go, and then like another comic joins. I'm like, I'm gonna find a reason to go talk to anyone else about Romstein. Unless, yeah, <laughs> shit, I wish, because uh, like the. Eventually, it becomes like a circle jerk of just like jokes and everything, and yeah, I'm like, guys, we're not the fucking Boston scene in the '90s. Like, we're just we're just trying to do our shit. And again, maybe that's just me. I'd rather just not be lost in a conversation. Uh, it's just kind of like, man, that happens in music so yeah. much, where a lot of times, especially in a large metro area like this. Where maybe the original goal for the artist was to get out on the road, tour, and play their music in a bunch of different places. Um, But then, if you want to, you can gig around DFW, especially Texas, and that's it. I mean, you can fill your calendar doing that, and that's totally fine, but if, if you're... If your goal is beyond that, a lot of times I'll see people kind of get lost in it where they go out, they go to the bar, they wind up talking to other musicians, and they just kind of find themselves in a circle where it's like, it's like, you know, you might wind up talking about, oh, that time I opened for so-and-so, and it's like, man, you can still do, you still got a lot in the tank, yeah. but... Not if you just keep doing the same thing over yeah. and over and over. You yeah, know? they get com- they get a little too comfortable. You get comfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature. I mean, I I don't fault anybody yeah. for it, but oh, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's something I think we all need every now and then to kind of like slap ourselves awake and be like, okay, what 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 do I want? Yeah. You know, that's kind of why I started doing this, just because I'm like, well, I've always kind of wanted to do it. I but I just needed to pull the trigger and buy the shit. Yeah, and then I can hit up people because i feel like you talked to me about this probably have uh it it got one of those things i'm just like i'm tired of fucking talking about it and i I just want to do it do it and then the the technology and there's so many goddamn podcasts in the world but the technology cut up to hey are you are you are you are you an idiot with technology here's the most simple thing you can do and i'm just like (laughs) i'm that that guy give me that 
$400 later, here you go. Here's my box of crap. <laughs> so, like, I, I wanted to know, like, for comics that go and tour out on the road, do they follow a model similar to, to bands? Where, like, a band's, depending on the level they're at, they're not going to play Dallas, you know, more than once a year or twice a year. Do comics I follow so. that? Uh, so you probably look at it two different ways. I, uh, a comic will, if they're, if they're in with a club, say they're a headliner at a club, they'll probably headline that club twice a year. Okay. And most, they can either fly in then fly out, uh, you know, you know, for wherever they're at or, or they could do that and then probably geographically go to the next. But since it's, since they're at a club for anywhere from like three to five days, yeah, you know it, it doesn't. They don't need to do the geographic thing. Or the next weekend, I need to be you know at a you know at a state over or something like that. Yeah. They could just fly back home and then fly out for the next gig. So the, where the gigs are doesn't really matter because they're just flying you know a few hours to get there, and they're going to stay in the in the club condo or a hotel for the next few nights. That's what's also but, interesting to me because comics do. Uh, uh, I mean, the closest thing in music would be a residency, yeah. but generally those are like, you play every Wednesday of this month yeah. or something like that. But you comics live near there. Comics but. will do three to five days. Well, yeah, and right. that's just the club model of you know, you know, three. Some some clubs are crazy enough to do five nights in a row. Generally, what I've seen is three if it's big enough that can add on a fourth night, and that's generally two shows a night, maybe one show one night of that yeah just depends on how the club operates but then yeah there are the comics that go on the road and they can be at like the indie level where someone like me will book them uh-huh. or they can be at a big enough level where you know when you when the talent buyers will scoop them up and put them at the appropriate venue where where they have the crowd they have the draw like there was a place that. when i lived in nashville i think it was called zany's yeah maybe and that was like the big you know that's yeah. where like People that even the most fair weather comic fan would be like, oh, I know who that is, yeah. you know, and that that model is interesting to me too because like I really never dipped my toes in it, and I was interested to see like how it worked. Like obviously the overhead is less just from a production standpoint. It's so. But there's so many yeah. other factors that go into it. Like, the 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 experience for the attendee is different. Like, because generally when you book a show, as long as the venue is legit, it's really on the band to to put on the thing. But at a comedy show, it's like, sure, the the comedian is the the focus, but it's it's a little more about the experience. Like, I don't feel like you, you necessarily, uh, the way somebody would go to a show and, you know, it's like, oh man, the bathroom's kind of lame at that venue. But I feel like if you go to a comedy show, it's like, that would be weird if the bathroom sucked. Yeah. That, <laughs> you that, know? Like, that'd be, that'd be poor. On yeah. The, like, that, it's a different mindset of, of how yeah, that. Yeah, because, like what you're saying earlier, there are people that go back to comedy clubs and they will see whoever's there because they've as as a customer they've built like a trust with that business to where I'll go and see your comedy show 
because I enjoy it and I and I'll know it's good. Yeah. No matter who's there. And so I say one of the biggest differences in comedy and music is that a lot of people that you know go see a band know who that band is. Yeah. They're familiar with the band. They're there because they like that band. A lot of people that go to a comedy club slash comedy show, they're there because they want to see a comedy show. You you will have your comics that draw, and yeah, that happens. Yeah. But then they're you know, but you know, that's your household name comics. Your 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 comics that have a fan base of some sort, so comedy nerds and stuff like that. Uh, but then there are plenty of amazing, legendary headliners, that, you know, will just never be. Never were, never will be household names, but they destroy and they make a great living doing comedy because there, there's a system of clubs out there that just have a good enough reputation, or a great reputation to good enough reputation, yeah. where they have these customers that return constantly because they're like, put on good shows, I have a great time, I, I buy some drinks, I laugh my ass off, and then you know I'll come back another time. I'll maybe I'll get the free tickets, maybe I'll buy a ticket because I can't make the free ticket night or something like that. They're, they're there for a comedy show. They might be there for the comedian, one of the comedians. Uh, Whereas rarely you have somebody that pays the ticket to go, oh, well, it's music. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's... And maybe they can surmise what kind of music that is from the band name. Rarely happens. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah like, they've at least... Because, you know, music's so accessible. You know, you hear on the radio, you, you've already scoped it out yourself. Well, and and like, comedy can be the same way, but it's so, so smaller in scale and scope. That circuit of comedy clubs across the country, because in my world over COVID, of course, there were a bunch of, you know, a couple main organizations that formed to, to basically lobby and try and get funding to keep these music venues open. Was there anything similar for comedy clubs? Uh, maybe for clubs. I saw some plenty of things going around for comedians, like in a certain city. Yeah. Uh, I applied for like one of those through Fort Worth, and I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know who ended up getting anything, but I'm like, we just Austin had a thing going because Austin just has such a, a tight knit comedy community. Yeah. And maybe some people got some money, or people were trying to get a fundraiser together for them, and uh, same thing. Uh. Like, uh, our venues here are still intact. Uh, Hyenas and the Improv. Dallas Comedy House didn't last. Uh, they, Wait, that did was, that one that was close one of our casualties. before COVID? Or? No, that was, a, that was because of COVID. That was a COVID casualty there. I did one. They, they're doing some outside shows, uh-huh. uh, which the setup was great for an outside. They, they, they had just moved. Uh, I don't know the timeline of this. This is what also makes it really sad, is that they had just moved to their third and biggest location. And then uh, COVID hit. And then uh, Amanda Austin, who was, who was the owner of Dallas Comedy House, who was, you know, trying to make a run. She, like, the show I did, I believe she was, you know, she was either taking tickets or waiting tables, if not both. And then the show I did, I got paid in two drinks and a meal. I was more than happy to do that. I'm like, yeah. I, one, I wasn't, I, I wasn't expecting any money. Yeah. I was just like, I'm happy to do a show. It's outside. Uh, yeah. So everybody was, like, cool with that. And... Yeah, I was like, I was like, oh, I, I was like, I was happy with the drinks. I was like, I get a meal too. Oh, this is amazing. And then like a few months later, it, it shut down just because, just you know, one of the yeah. casualties there. And uh, and again, like especially 
that that club's kind of model because they, they were stand up, but also they did a lot of classes, improv, sketch, and stand up. And oh, okay. so getting that, you know, that meaning a bunch of us need to get inside and go through these classes wasn't possible. Yeah, even the Zoom model, I don't think, would have saved that aspect of the classes for that kind of club. But well, your because it's it regular is a... comedy club, I think, you know, has you know a lot of them have survived because you know they're kind of like rest. They are, you know, technically, according to the health inspector, also restaurants. Yeah. So any kind of benefits, they could apply for that, too. But also, you know, because, you know, when you go to a club, again, one of the vast differences between comedy and music, when you go to a comedy club, you're at a table. You're basically, you're being waited on for yeah. drinks and, you know, some, uh, whatever, varying degrees of food at clubs. And so you have that, but you're there and you have entertainment. Because the whole concept is not to have people... Yeah, there's the only people walking around are the waiters. Yeah, yeah. And people go in the bathroom. Yeah. Like, that's it. You know, music, though, you know, even though you probably, you know, the rustic, I guess, is, you know, they have some tables that can sit and watch music, but that's not everywhere. Mostly your music venue is a bunch of people standing watching a band. Milling about, yeah. And that, in the COVID days, that was not going to fly. <laughs> or even, well, even Florida didn't have that for a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, even Florida. I mean, that was the hardest thing early on when everybody realized. I you know I don't I don't remember quite when it happened, but when everybody kind of realized like, oh this is this is gonna be a little longer than we thought, and so everybody started to get creative and tried to do drive-in shows and uh, you know any number of variations of socially distanced outdoor events. And some of them were just, uh, I think the heart was in the right place, but... They get a participation trophy. <laughs> Correct. Like, yeah. Like, you fucking tried. It, it sounds like a garbage idea, but you tried, and so I can't I can't really shit yeah, on it. Yeah, I couldn't tried. shit on it, but I was also yeah. like, logistically and financially, this makes no sense yeah. for anyone. You know, it was just... It was hard to... It's hard to even like publicly say that. <laughs> oh like, yeah, why but... are you even trying, you asshole? Like, no, let them try, and then yeah. everybody realized. Uh, why? Uh, mentioned earlier, Nate Bargatze did some drive-in shows, and you know he you have a big enough name to where if you have a big enough name, big enough draw, you know you can make something like that happen. Hundred percent. Yeah. But if yeah, if it's a little too risky, because then... some major artists were able to do things and. It, you know, they started. There was a couple platforms for uh, that had popped up that were for ticketed streaming shows, um, but yeah. those generally happened at the larger venues where the artist was based. Yeah, you know, I mean, it wasn't like, and they would they would do things where it's like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna live stream this show and. If you live in this part of the country, you can buy tickets for this night and you can stream it. If you and then tomorrow night, if you live here, you can. And and that was cool. It's a cool experience, but it's obviously not even close to any sort of a replacement for. And also for younger people that generally are the ones that attend a lot of these shows, they don't generally have a lot of money or maybe like nice home systems yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so like they're watching it on their laptop yeah I mean, laptop you know, speaker yeah it, you know maybe plug in your headphones for a little more yeah for a more of a yeah and, and so then, hey like guess what you can just hit the bong while you're watching that yeah this 
Which honestly, this I ain't like being there, but it's kind of cool. When it first started, and we had at mass, what we did was we had a, uh, we called it the bunker, and it was a, uh, it was basically a band rehearsal space, um, and uh, John Carney um, was nice enough to let us uh, do live streams from there. And so we would do these intimate live streams where it's like Mark, you know, the engineer, and then the artist, and then like me and one or two other people. And we would do these live streams. And those actually, people responded very well. And my wife was a huge fan because she was like, this is great. Like, because she she doesn't stay up late. She goes to bed very Mm -hmm. early. And so she's like, I don't get to see a lot of shows, but now I can watch these shows. And she was kind of like, you know, whenever COVID ends and everything goes back to the previous model, it would be cool if people still live streamed and you had a, you know, you pay whatever, you pay five, a discounted rate and you can live stream the show. And it's cool. It's just, it's there, there's a lot of like we have to as a promoter you have to pay PRO fee any venue any you have to pay PRO fee so it's ASCAP BMI yeah, yeah. you you've got to you've got to pay that and there's there's you know um, you can run into an issue there where it's like hey don't play a cover song because yeah. <laughs> now we're now we're gonna be off the line for this but I. It, it will never replace the live experience, obviously, but it is a cool option, yeah. I think, that because there's a million neat little innovations that came out of COVID. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think that's one of them to, to provide people that option. But also, if you're a venue, venue bar or whatever, you're, you're really making, you're paying your bills on alcohol sales. Yeah. And if people just are sitting at home watching the show, that's good for the artist, but nobody's buying booze at three links the that night. The bartender's just on their phone, just you know? looking for jobs. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so that's, and, and that's something a lot of people don't think about. You know, a lot of people, uh, especially when we were, when Spoon was doing our festivals, we would, you know, we would have these big name acts and we'd have a lot of you know thousands of people come to these events and i would have friends of mine that would be like man you guys must just be crushing it it's like do you know how expensive it is to put that on like it's i mean it's so much money to put that on the and i mean the the insurance alone that you have to get and the infrastructure of it all and then you hope it doesn't rain (laughs) you know i mean it's 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 a lot, and I don't think people uh, understand what goes into it. Yep. Yeah. Like, same with me. Like, as much as I've gotten to learn about, you know, uh, music and, you know, booking and how venues, and, like, even, you just don't think, there's the things that you can't even, even all the looking around at a show, you can piece some things together, but even that, it's like, you know, the, the ASCAP BMI things, the insurance, the things you just can't even come across. Yeah. It's like, how? And that's why someone ignorant like me is just like, why can't a band just play all these places together? I'm like, this, this system's been around for decades, asshole. 
this, it works for a reason. But again, <laughs> uh, again, like, kind of like what we were talking about when people were trying to figure out ways to have socially distant shows. A lot of the ideas, you're like, well, that's not really feasible. But you can't shit on it because it's like you're trying. Yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is coming from a good place. So, like, anytime somebody. That's why I never. It's like Zoom comedy shows just sound like a terrible fucking idea to me. That's why I'm like, I had comics that some, you know, uh, my friend Jasmine, like she, she just moved to LA, like probably a few months before COVID, but she's, she flies around doing like, she's fucking destroying at her, at her career, what she's supposed to be doing. Way to go, Jasmine. Jasmine Ellis. Check her out if you're listening. She's amazing. Uh, And I've been to her, I went to her, her, I went to her wedding. She married my buddy Alex. Congratulations, Jasmine. And, but she's done, like, you know, I, I can't shit on the Zoom thing publicly. I obviously am just like, oh, that was dorky. Okay, whatever. But she she's still doing, like, live shows, but she did plenty of those. I'm like, because she has, a, like, she is very proactive at what she's doing, her career, cultivating her fan base. And so, you know, I, I can't shit on, you know, the earnestness that is behind, like, you can have some people that just throw them to get, throw together some Zoom shit. I'm just kind of like, all right, whatever. Uh, yeah. Just like, that looks lame as hell. But then there's some people that like, re- I'm like, I completely understand that you, I'm not taking this seriously. Also, I didn't do any Zoom comedy shows because I just not, did not want to. Yeah. But like, there are people that are taking this seriously. Like, they fucking put on, like, especially for women, they put on makeup to get in front of this camera to entertain. You don't know who you're entertaining. You don't have people there. You see a number. You don't yeah. have to pay attention or not, but I'm like, damn it, if you're not fucking doing it, and you know what, you probably earn some fans that are going to come see you live if and when they can, and I'm just like, damn, that's, again, like... That's 100% true. I, I can be, I can goof on it, but I honestly There could be somebody that saw Jasmine for the first time on one of those, mm-hmm. and as soon as she comes to their town, they're going to go and be yeah. like, hey... I I didn't know who you were and you did that and I saw and if you. They like her on a Zoom comedy show. Imagine fucking see her live. <laughs> yeah. Same thing like with music, uh, like seeing bands for the first time. When you see comedy, like you you go like most people, it's like Comedy Central. You see a stand up, HBO. You see a stand up special, and you're like you laugh. You really like it. That's really funny. It's like me like seeing like those first few Dave Chappelle specials. I'm like that's amazing. Yeah, and then I go to my first ever comedy show, which was, and I, which was the, uh, the first ever. I think it was the first ever uh, Insomniac tour. So Dave Attell in order was like the first the first guy opening up. I want to say it was Brendan Walsh who tours with Stan Hope a lot. I want to say it was him. Can't confirm that one hundred percent, eighty percent think that was him. Then, uh, uh. Mitch Hedberg, Louis Black, Dave Attell. What? Yeah, I was at the Majestic <laughs> Theater, wow. and I was like, and I wish I wish I could say that. Okay, no, I, that is what happened. I wish I could tell you that, and then be like, that's when I decided I wanted to be a stand-up. <laughs> no, 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 that didn't come for like five years or something after that. Yeah, I went with a group of buddies, who uh, my friend Martin was super into Louis Black at the time. And, oh, I, I love Louis Black, and so I was like, oh fuck yeah, that Dave Chappelle. Louis Black, uh, every like I love him, but I I always think like he has to get a headache after his set because he's so you yeah. know he's just like oh, like it's, it's like when you a, see a metal band you're yeah. like 
man, does that singer have migraines? Like, how do you do that? Yeah. You talk to them, they're like the sweetest guy in the yeah, world. Yeah, they're... They're just, You're so nice. I thought you were a demon man. It's like, well, I'm vegan. I have a couple chows at home. You know? I'm like, dude, your name is... Yeah, it's like Gorgoroth. You know? Like, uh, Louis Black, uh, a lot of people don't know, he had like a really big theater background. Where he would kind of... So, like... I had maybe, no idea. No, he, uh, he was a playwright as well. I was pretty sure. He wrote plays. What? And then uh, I'm pretty sure there's a performance part of that. And I think he was doing, like, one... And started doing one-man shows or something. And then pivoted that to what we know as Lewis Black. Because I don't... You know, he, I think, started in the early 90s or something like that. There's some early Lewis Black videos out there of him, like, at a comedy club. And you can be like, oh, but he's still like an old guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even then, yeah. but then you know, now, then you're like, oh, no, Lewis Black from the Daily Show and all these great specials and everything. Uh, That's crazy. Yeah, he was a terrible influence on me because I'm just like, I want to rant too, and I'm just like, wait a second, I have no world experience. I'm an idiot. I, I can't do what him. George Carlin and Bill Hicks were the worst influences on me because I didn't know what the fuck I was talking about. I wanted to do that before I learned how to write a fucking joke. And I was yeah. just like, what? A, I'm like, ah, oh, man, so many wasted open mics. But that's what they're there for. <laughs> that's they're what they're there for, to fuck yeah. around and realize, no, that's not what you do. That For 10 things you do wrong, you find the one thing you do right and you build on that. And you're like, oh, no, this is who I am. This yes. is me. I'm okay. I well, and it. that brings up an interesting thing because, like, in comedy, I guess there are genres of comedians. There are. Uh, there definitely are. But they, they don't matter that much. Like, in your realm, you, Parade of Flesh, uh, Margin Walker, genres totally matter. Yeah. That's who you're marketing to. You can have, and this is this is one thing I love about the compare and contrasting of music and comedy, which I've been doing so much for so long. So, like a comedy show, can be four different types of comics. If you if you're at a comedy club, and they're all good at what they do and their kind of genre, you're gonna have a great show. Yeah. But but the music equivalent of that is like, all right, first we got a jazz band, <laughs> then we have a, an Americana band. Then we have a death metal band, and, and then we have, you know, a shoegaze band. Yeah, it's like the schizophrenic promoter. Yeah, like, you know, who just needs. And I'm like, you, I'm like, good luck figuring that out if yeah. you need. If those, if only book that if those four bands are on a tour together. Yeah, and you're like, well, there's got to be a reason for that. Three so. people had a seizure tonight. Yeah, and so, and there are like, and what's weird is comedy genres like you can. You can tell jokes in different ways, but it's all stand-up comedy. But comedy's more broken down into like culture, really. Okay. Because you know, right. there's it's no secret. Like you have your urban African American rooms that are you know, and you might and you'll have like a you know a white guy like Gary Owen who does urban rooms. That's just his. That's he's found. That's his, his thing, and you yeah. can tell like I'm like oh that guy obviously grew up around black people and that's who that's who he is that's who he understands that's who he relates to and that's why he's a very successful comic well and they accept him yeah yeah yeah. and you have that you have uh, you know Latino rooms you know uh, plenty of people you know George Lopez uh, a guy not George Lopez but there's another comic uh, for some reason his special his specials title his special title is in my head but his name is it the title of the special is uh, Red Mexican. 
I think it's, it's Alex <laughs> Alex Raimundo, I think. Uh, red but like, Mexican. So you have, it's like, and so that's obviously who he relates to. He, he's Hispanic, but a redneck. There you go. Blue collar. And, I and assume Hispanic. he kills in Texas. Oh, I think he's from Texas. Okay. And so, like, yeah. you have that, you know, uh, you know, and it's mostly culture, race related. It can blend over into other things. Like, well, because uh, then you have, like, somebody like... Like, Tom Segura does Spanish speaking Spanish only shows. Did you know that? I had no idea. Yeah. A part of me uh he did one just a couple months ago. I had uh, some comedy buddies that were there and they're all they're all bilingual. So they enjoyed that. But a part of a part of me wanted to go to that and just see if I could somehow just tune in to what everyone was laughing at and not but not know what the fuck he's saying. Yeah. And just yeah. See if I could just tap into, like that that weird effect that like uh, that weird psychological thing to like when everyone starts laughing, you start and laughing too, and you find it funny. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> but I know I know like if I sat with my buddies, they'd be like Brian, you don't know what the fuck you say. I go I know right, and we would laugh about that. But yes, I didn't because you hear Tom Segura speak, you're like he doesn't have an accent. I'm like well no, well, doesn't matter. Fucker's bilingual. He can do Spanish only shows, and that's that's, that's fucking crazy. amazing. You also you're like, oh yeah, his last name is Segura. So that, that, yeah, that, I had that no, checks out. No, well, because like, that's what I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, it's uh, kind of broken up culturally in a way where like, uh, you know, you look at somebody like John Mulaney and you're like the whitest dude yeah. you could imagine, and but yet, and he's also kind of like, I find him very funny. But he's also like very outside of being a white guy. He's like class level. I I assume he's like this rich kid that grew up in New York City or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, you know, like totally which different. From probably me, totally, was. which is probably true. You know, but. if his act is correct, his dad was a lawyer, so you're just like, oh yeah, he's pampered as hell. Yeah, and but yet he he's still regarded as one of the top stand-up comics out there right now. And, you know. And SNL writer, great stand-up comic. Yeah. yeah. And this, I, I, I don't know if the unifying aspect of all of that is the self-deprecation. <laughs> like, just the, the the true, like, man, you kind of hate yourself, too. I got, man, yeah, yeah I'm into that. <laughs> that's, that's the basis of most stand-up comedy. But, like, and you can go further into that if you want. Or comedy's all, like, that's what, that's what eventually I learned. When I stopped, like, trying to fucking rant about shit I knew nothing about, and it was just, like, a feeling. You were trying to do I the Lewis realized, Black, Bill Hicks. Wait, wait, no, B, this one thing I learned is every time I go on stage, I need to bring a little bit more of the real me to the stage. But that also needs, that I also need good jokes to convey that, because the more I am the real me on stage, the more authentic I come off as, people believe the, it yeah people, and laugh people more. yeah people are like this sounds like you're, you're you're being honest and you know and it's not like i go up there to like self-deprecate but i go up there to give this is my my point of view not but not in a ranty kind of a way because that's just that's just dumb and doesn't work and you need to be very niche in order to make that successful yeah. and have a specific political point of view for the most part to get that off the ground but but don't no, like go up there I've learned you got to make comedy about your. It's about yourself, but it's not like in a self. Like this is all about me, me, me. No, it's it's about how you view things, like 
you know, like one of my jokes now is like I, you know, I just want, like I talk about bars and how they've changed from my point of view. Yeah. And then from that, I've like, I can add in all the, all the jokes and tags that I want because it's, it's me bitching about bars. And, it, and I'm like, it, it's, it's inconsequential amongst the grand scheme of things, but it, it's just comedy. Because it's, it's me bitching about how I think bars have changed for the, for the worse. And I, you know, I have to, I make that funny. Yeah. Cause, cause I'm like, that's, that's, that's what's important to me. <laughs> yeah. It, well, cause it, it is, but the, it, I don't need to go up there and say actual important things. That's not comedy. That's, that's also what's ruining a lot of comedy now. Well, because I mean, like I was, when you brought up Carlin and then, you know, obviously Bill Hicks, uh, did it a lot too. And you know, before that Lenny Bruce, like where are there modern day comics that do mostly kind of a political social statement are, slant but because they are so narrow in their political persuasion their their audience is also agrees with them politically so it's it, and they can probably go from place to place to place and you know they, they can you know have sell out a show here and there you know depending on where they are and whatnot and that's fine but they're just because I'm sure the RNC has comedians they hire. <laughs> oh no, yeah, there's probably yeah, you know, there's there's people under Larry the Cable Guy that they that they that can yeah. go to. Yeah, and ha- there are there are comics like there's there's you know they probably don't call themselves this now but they're like MAGA comics out there. Yeah, and they uh you know there's there's literally like a it was like the MAGA you know the MAGA comedy tour or some shit like that. You know, and there's that was four comics. Thing? Yeah. Oh. oh yeah. It you know, it's. And if there's enough people, they went on a tour and, you know, they're at the Addison Improv. And I'm like, and if you're a club, you're like, well, they're going to go here. I can say no, but then they'll probably go to the other club and then they'll have money for this Tuesday night that's going to sell out. So it's just like, yeah. fuck it, I'll book it. Yeah. And the people, you know, and it's just not big enough to where people are going to, someone might write a bitchy complaint on the internet, but who cares? doesn't matter. Yeah. You've sold the tickets. Your waitstaff's going to make its guaranteed tips. Well, and I wonder and, too, which like is a thing at some clubs. as a comedy club, because like now some comics are too poisonous, or become too poisonous to where to, you don't even fucking touch to them. touch. Especially yeah. right now with the Tony Hinchcliffe stuff. So that's which who's that? Oh, you don't know? No. So uh, a local comic uh, who's from out of Dallas, uh, named Pung Dong. Okay. Uh, and I've had I've had him on. Uh, Wait, one. is this the guy that got called a slur in yes. Austin? Yes. Okay. Yeah, he All went right. up before Tony. Tony was trying to do some. Uh, he was trying to do some shock humor, and I emphasize the word shock. Or no, I emphasize the word trying, because he tried to do some shock humor thing that was the the complete other side of what uh, Pung was his set. And what's weird is they've worked together before. Plenty of time. Like if Tony Hinchcliffe was in town, Pung has opened up for him so they, multiple times. This was they knew each other. This is this goes so, back to reading the room. So, <laughs> well, that's the thing is, some people laughed in that room, but from one camera, like you can't tell what the whole vibe was. So you gotcha. know, again, people have to remember that from that one camera. But then again, Pung went up, Tony Hinchcliffe came up, said a bunch of awful fucking shit, including the racial slur. Yeah, directed at him. I get it that it was in a shock humor kind of a way, but oh man, did it fail in every absolute possible way. Yeah. And Tony is now reaping the, is now facing well, the repercussions I heard of that. He got dropped. Dropped by his agency. 
just like a week couple like literally next like joe rogan's doing uh like three nights of shows at the creek in the cave in austin starting on the 24th i know this because i was i looked at it on facebook earlier today and it was going to be it the original fire was joe rogan tony hinchcliffe and then on instagram they changed the flyer to joe rogan wow so even joe rogan's just kind of like eh, not now boy <laughs> And who know? Uh, he had a live because po- he has a live podcast called Kill Tony. Even like the next sh- live show of that was canceled, wherever well, that was going to be. Before all this happened, was his? Did he? Was his bit shock or his bit was very roasty? Okay, like he's a roast comic of okay, sorts. Gotcha. I find him very unfunny, and. Hey, uh, some people say you can't make fun of how people look, but then again, everybody says that and then does it for the politician they hate. Tony Clinchev is a very unfortunate looking, That's a very good point, skinny giant mouth and tooth man, and it's just <laughs> my buddy Dalton. Oh, oh yeah, our Dalton. buddy Dalton yeah. was just on episode of Legion of Skanks, which is they've they're they're probably right. That's the most they've called themselves the most offensive podcast on the planet, and they're probably right. He was just a guest on that literally a couple days ago, and he he rocked it. He dude, I'm, his Twitter I, is I'm one so, of my I'm favorite I'm so happy accounts. for Dalton because he's that, that's kind of bit. He's a very smart guy, a very I don't want to say edgy. He, he says a bunch of fucked up shit, but he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he won a Legion of Skank, and and he was shitting on Tony Hinchcliffe. Was like, hey, hey, we're pro Tony here, and the he <laughs> he got one of the hosts is Big J Okerson. After a few minutes, he was just like, I, I think I'm with Dalton on this. So yeah, fuck Tony. <laughs> That's, and Dalton fucking destroyed it. I'm and Dalton's so still in New York City, right? Still in New York, yeah. yeah. And uh, he might be in Austin when I go to Austin next week. I'll try to say hi to him if I can. But, uh, but yeah, so. Dude, he was one of the so funniest hey, comics you brought to like, mass, in my opinion. Like, he, he floored he's me. He's still, so, someone would be like, I saw this one guy, and they'll describe him. I'm like, describe him physically. And I'm just like, <laughs> no, that's Dalton. Yeah. 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 People still, if any of the local comics have made a lasting impact in that general, like, if I'm at mass and someone's talking about the comedy shows, chances are they'll bring up Dalton. And I'm just like, that too. It's like, they, they see... Like he's, they can kind of, they, they don't, maybe they're not relate to him, uh-huh. but they, they relate to it at a human level. There's like this kid, like he's, he's really funny, but I understand his frust, like I see that he's frustrated with the world and he's just like an honest kid. You know, he's like 27 now, but it's like, I, but, but he's kind of baby faced. Yeah. Too. Oh yeah. He's yeah. got the baby face and he's from Georgia. So he's got a little bit of the draw, but he's a very, very smart guy. Very well read. He's got like a, so we went to college where he's, he could throw out some fucking vocabulary words and correctly use them in the proper context, which he was doing on Legion of Skanks, he probably, which is like, I, I don't listen to that show because, again, it's three, it's a couple of comics just what, you know, jerking yeah. around. But but I listen to that because Dalton was on there and I'm happy for my boy. That's really and, cool that he was on that. Yeah, I mean, that, that made me think of... Uh, one of the guys, because uh, my wife went to tech and worked at that radio station, and right when I got there is when Marcus Parks graduated, and he was like a station manager or something at that radio station, and he now is part of, uh, uh, what is it, last podcast on the left? Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, and 
And I've never listened to an episode, but I did see a guy wearing a shirt of theirs one time. Yeah, he's... Which tells you that's a popular fucking podcast. Oh, he's become... Like they did Texas Theater yeah. uh, before COVID. Mm. Sold out super fast. Like, just really, you know, somebody that... Oh, so they held a super spreader. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had to stop myself so many times of anyone doing literally anything and just, and I was probably one of the least scared people of COVID this entire time, just cause I've been working since July at gas stations and I'm just like, whatever. <laughs> but yeah. I, so many times on the, on the internet when anyone posted a picture of them doing anything with anybody else, I had to stop myself from saying nice super spreader because people did that so many times. Well, there was so much, I feel like, what was it? Maybe, a few years ago, there was that big term, call-out culture. Yeah. And when oh. COVID happened, it was like, oh, this is a new version of call-out culture. Oh, I mean, yeah. because everybody was like, I can't believe you're out at a restaurant. Yeah. I can't believe you're doing this. And it's, it's, I mean, in a way, especially in Texas, Texas is always trying to be like, well, you leave us alone. We make our own decisions. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, but people are stupid. And people are oftentimes going to make really stupid decisions. That's why. Does it me, really surprise I'd rather anyone? leave the stupid people alone than try to tell them what to do. Because if you tell people, try to tell stupid people what to do, they're going to get stupider. Exactly. That yeah. and that's why I'm generally on the you know, live and let live, decentralized, you know, way of looking at things. I'm just like, why bother trying to tell people what to do? You're just going to get so much resistance, and you could. If you're trying to tell people what to do, I, I immediately question what's your motive. What 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 are you doing? What's your what are you, what's your angle here? Especially, I, mean, I I don't know. It's just a lot of the a lot of a lot of the characters you run into. It's exactly that. If you were to try and correct them, it's immediately taken from a oh, you think you know better than me, so yeah. I'm immediately not listening to yeah. you. And that's what, you know, and that's what drives a lot of people to, you know, do certain, they vote certain ways. And that's why, like, I'm like, and people just don't seem to learn the lesson. They're like, they're like, oh, these stupid Republicans. I'm like, oh, yeah, keep calling them that. They will never vote Democrat if you keep saying shit like that, but people don't, yeah, ever, it, people don't learn. It's crazy to like. You don't need to treat people with respect. I'm just like, keep saying that. You will not get the support you like, think you're trying to get. I understand where people get frustrated, but then like, you watch, you know, everybody talks about uh, Fox News because it's so out there, but watch CNN for about 15 minutes and talk about a high horse. Oh. Dude, they're all the yeah. one thing that I think is the hardest, and I've had to kind of open my eyes to this recently. I've never like really watched the news, so I never. You know, well, and it's yeah. not news these days. The it's, me- a, it's so much opinion. Yeah, and know? it's 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 opinion masquerading as the news. Correct. So people's yeah. news is just someone's opinion, and to me, CNN, MSNBC, and Fox are all the exact fucking same. Yeah, but. And there's, and also, like, one thing I've learned uh, from this one podcast I like called No Agenda, it's also like, look who's advertising on these channels. It's pharmaceutical com- pharmaceutical companies. Yes. Who do you think calls the fucking shots? Yeah. Pun intended. Who's calling these shots right now? Nice. It's, which, nice. 
under duress, I got mine. But, <laughs> and I told my first shot, I go, I'm getting this, I'm not getting, I'm like, I'm getting this against my will. So, <laughs> you show up in a straight I needed, I needed someone to know that they're putting a needle in the arm of someone who didn't want it. But I wanted it enough that I was there in the line, <laughs> in the car line at TCU. Oh, it, is that where you got it? Yeah, yours? I went there yeah. and I was like, oh, fuck it. Okay. Because to me, I love a good conspiracy. I don't want to. You know, I'm not conspiracy theorist. I do love a good conspiracy. Who does? Shit, shit's just too complicated to ever get to the bottom of things. And I, I, I have a dual way of looking at COVID where, like, people are just like, I'm like, all right, you're overreacting about COVID. But then I look at the other side. I'm like, you're overreacting about the fucking vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> I want to look at both people. I got, like, again, this is a harsh way of looking at the world. But I want to look at the COVID people, the, the panicky COVID people and the panicky anti this vaccine people because there's people that are like i like all the vaccines except this one and yeah, i, yeah, I want to look at both of them and it'll be like covid vac- vaccines not enough people are dying from either one of these for you to act this way and then they will all turn on me and i'll be like that's what i'm here for you're you're, <laughs> you're the both sponge act- yeah. <laughs> yeah i'm like you're overreacting you're overreacting well because that's i think that's what Let's Some, just all go to it. Sometimes the trouble about it is like life really a lot of times is really kind of boring and mundane and oh, totally. a lot of what we all deal with is totally exists in that gray area more than it's black or white, left or right, whatever. You know, it but oh yeah, I refuse to look at the world like that. People love exclamation points. You know they it's love like Texas. I know some people that are hardcore left, but super pro gun, and I love it. Yeah, and I'm like that. And that to me is like a, a thing about Texas. I'm like, give me that. Give me those people, and give me your hardcore right wingers too. These people, I like anybody that can come to a comedy show and laugh at the comedy, and then you know they can go their separate ways. <laughs> but they were there together. Yeah. And, and they don't re- know their beliefs, but y- yeah. Because I mean, I've if it wasn't if it wasn't for people being so crazy one way or the other, we yeah. wouldn't have gotten that awesome uh <laughs> the uh, the the Trump boat parade in oh, Austin yeah, yeah. where where the bigger boats created waves oh, that yeah, capsized yeah. the little boats and it's like Man, what a cool just microcosm of <laughs> the like, whole situation. <laughs> those guys, they saw the shit they were doing out in Florida. It's like, guys, no, they were on an ocean. You're in a lake. <laughs> yeah. There's probably some physics that bring the waves back. These guys were on an ocean out there in Florida where they, they know they do this shit all the time. You're on the lake uh, once a month or whatever during the summer. Yeah, there's going to be some capsizing boats every once in a while. One of my favorite things that happened through the whole pandemic, I just... I was like, you can't write that. You, no one could have come up with that. Yeah. And yet it was real life. <laughs> and it happened. All right, man. Well, we are over two hours. It's Dang. Yeah. I've been looking at the time a little bit. And man. we are at... It goes by. Hour, two hours, 18. Well, so that's what, uh, that's what good friends, good conversation. And, yeah. and I can force 
conversation from people if I put microphones <laughs> and headphones on the table. And they'll be like, oh, this is this is fun. This is yeah, how you yeah. do it. Oh, it's not just, oh, I've got to. Imagine okay. if I just messaged you and be like, can I come hang out? And you'd be like, Brian's never asked this before. Why can't he wait and just see me somewhere? Well, the thing is, like, now I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, like, more inclined to be like, Brian, you want to come hang out in the garage? You, you'll be Which like, I'm always down for Should a I bring the microphones? Or? <laughs> <laughs> but all right, man. Uh, thanks for being on the, the second episode. Thank you for we'll having me. We'll see where me. this goes. I'm uh, very excited about this. Yeah. Uh, so glad you're getting back to work and you're going <laughs> to be working two jobs now. So uh, Maybe I'll book Rammstein. <sighs> do it. Book them at Mass. <laughs> I'll invite I'll Tammy. easily pay $100 for that ticket. <laughs> you I'll get pay him for free. Tammy's you ticket. get him free. Okay, cool. I'll help set up. I don't know what I'm doing, but... Just give me a Rockfish gift card. If I can podcast each of the guys, then I'll do that. (laughs) All right, thanks, Alan.